Hey everybody, it's that time again, the end of the season, bittersweet, we don't love that the season is over, we do love that the season was really good, it finished on an extremely high note, two of the most popular episodes they've ever done, which just of course makes our job easier, when Game of Thrones is great, we get to geek out and have fun and play with it, when it's not as great, Sometimes there's arguments over quality, and, you know, we're all passionate about the subject, so... Yeah, it's just easier, right? <laughs> more fun, at least. More positive. Yeah, more fun, for sure. More positive. I tend to associate that with, with easier. But hey, welcome back, everybody. It is our wrap-up blowout episode. We're glad that you're joining us live. If you are joining us live on USA Independence Day, Sean and I are showing our true colors here <laughs> black red white and blue we're both wearing iron maiden crossover shirts mine is an iron maiden star wars shirt and sean's is an iron maiden game of thrones shirt the walker instead of the trooper mine is the trooper the stormtrooper and hey there's red white and blue on both of these shirts they're just black also so we're we're, we're showing our oh wait iron maiden's a british band oh no <laughs> we're traitors <laughs> sorry folks Maybe we're loyalists. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you all are the traitors. <laughs> I, I need to say that with the British. You all are the traitors. Uh, so, as things, as a lot of you are actually book readers, but a lot of you have not read the books, now that the season is over, there's something interesting to think about. Game of Thrones is unique in a sense that. With so many different plot lines, it's possible to really hate part of it and really love other parts of it without those two having much to do with each other. That's not something that most shows can can do. They don't have that kind of split, that kind of dichotomy. It's basically, you either like it or you don't. There's not a lot of ways to parse it into things you like and don't like. Like, you could, you could hate the Arya plotline and love the Cersei plotline, for example. There's, it's just totally different. I think that's really neat, makes the show really unique, and it's true for the books as well. So, one thing that I recommend, if you didn't like how one of your plot lines came out on the show and you haven't read the books, you might like how it comes out in the books. It might come out kind of similarly, to be fair. So, if you are, you know, frustrated at the fact that you're going to have to wait 10 more months for new Game of Thrones material and you haven't read the books because you don't have time for it, or you just haven't taken that plunge, I've got a suggestion. Try audible.com. There is, uh, you can download the books and listen to them. You can listen to them on the way to work, while you're doing chores, etc. It's not as much of a time commitment, and you get that. You get to stay immersed in the Game of Thrones world, and maybe your favorite characters, things play out differently in the books than they do in the show. Maybe. Something, like I said, some things are similar. Things are very, very different. It's a lot different when you can see inside characters' heads. That's a much different experience. You, you know, it, it might be weird uh, to do this if you haven't read or watched any of the show, but I, I wonder, is there, has someone even done this? Like, just piece together all the Arya chapters from all the Game of Thrones into one continuous line. There are resources to do whoever, that. You know? Yeah, there are things, there are resources out there like that. It's not easy to find just... A like a recording of just the Arya chapters. But yes, there's people that have, you know, you just, when reading the books manually, manually, analog style, <laughs> you can exactly. easily just 
skip to the next Aria chapter and just keep going until you, you know, keep flipping until you find the next Aria chapter. And I've seen some people that have their copies of the books really tabbed out. Like they have every chapter oh, yeah. marked and so you can easily, like they color can code easily, the characters or whatever. Exactly. So you can, you can easily, it's the reference point. It's like, uh, you know, it's like a Dewey Decimal System for, for Game of Thrones. It's really, people, have, I've seen people do really thorough, really amazing. It just goes to show how deep this fandom runs. But if you want the, if you want to listen to them, Go to our website, historyofwesteros.com, click on the Audible 30-day trial that's up in the right corner, and you get the you can get the first book for free. And even if you decline the trial after the 30 days are up, you get to keep that book. So it's a no-risk, no-cost uh, adventure for you. I highly recommend it. I use it myself. I've listened to the books more times than I can count. It's a really good way to do two things at once when you, you just, just have... can only count up to five. Yeah, that's right. I can't, I can't <laughs> go beyond that. So I don't know what to do when the sixth book comes out. <laughs> I'll, I don't know. The I'll be book? confused. The, yeah, the the what is the this what? sixth? You yeah, what's of? a six? Isn't that how babies are made? I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand. So anyway, yeah. So that's it's also a good way to support the show. Check out audible.com on our website. You know, we get uh, a little kickback whenever someone signs up. And if, like I said, if you don't like it, you pay nothing. So it's it's no risk. All right. But enough of that. We have a ton of questions. You guys have been awesome. There are so many great questions here. We have them in the in the Q and A app. That's part of the video player on the event page. We also have a bunch of questions posted on the event wall. I've gotten questions through email, through Patreon, through a lot of different places. And, and uh, we're going to go ahead and take two, two of them. Yeah. Two questions. <laughs> so I have to apologize to anyone whose questions we don't get to. There's simply too many. It's overwhelming, which is a, it's a good problem to have. But I don't want anyone to feel frustrated that we didn't answer questions. So I just have to throw that caveat out there. Um, questions that were asked through the Q&A app, when we click on them, you'll see them on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. And the benefit there is people can upvote them and those questions get a little bit more visibility. So Q&A app is the best way to ask questions, but we do try to answer them wherever they come. If your questions pertain to the books, we're going to skip them because we've got a book to show Q&A on the 11th, which is a week from today. And we'll handle all book-related questions there. We're not going to do any, we're not going to spoil anybody by talking book topics here. And, of course, like I said, there's so many questions, so of course those are getting booted. We're going to focus on show-only questions today. Speaking of Patreon, thanks to our Dragon Rider supporters. That includes the illustrious Lord Mark Joseph, the Snow in Winterfell, Rider of Mazalakartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Also, Rory, the subduer and tamer of the last of Valyria, rider of Vrathraeus, a silver gold dragon with violet eyes, talons, and horns. I tell you what, saying Vrathraeus several times is, is good practice for saying hard words. That is a difficult one. I like the sound of it, but it's hard to say. <laughs> also, thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, uh, our History of Westeros Patreon's first sword. There's lot, if you go to check out History of Westeros, you can also check out our, us on Patreon. You can find out all the details on all those benefits and kickbacks that we offer. Mm, so, like I said, we have a ton of questions. I've been growing my beard all season long. It's just nowhere near Sean's length here. I've been trimming mine all season long. <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't catch up. But I think maybe when the season's, now the season's over, it'll be time to trim it a little bit. Mm, I'm not sure. We'll see. Maybe, maybe it's not giving me the strength of Goliath like I hoped for. <laughs> it's not even giving me the strength of... Right, the strength uh, of Samson? Yeah. <laughs> not even giving me the strength of Sweet, sweet Robin. <laughs> Certainly, it's giving me his, his uh, accuracy with the bow. So, I think we should start with 
let's see. Let's just take this top question here. Uh, there's no particular order to these questions, so we're just going to dive in. We've got one of our question-asking MVPs, Guillaume Eske, here. The question is, I think that next season the Hound will most likely meet at least one of the Stark girls. Which one do you think or hope he will meet? kind of think he might meet both. I'm really not sure where Arya's going to go, but i got to feel like she's going to want to go home eventually, and that's where they both are. Sansa seems more likely to be sooner because he's actually heading to the north right now. She's actually there. Well, also, depending on where exactly he is and where exactly Arya is, they might cross paths before he gets up to the north. To that's Sansa, true. Right? She's at the Twins. Like and... Even if Sansa isn't heading north, they still may cross paths in that that area. They're in the same general geographic location. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a part of me would like to see the Hound and Arya reunite and... Um, there may even be more precedent or setup, if you will, for that, right? Because uh, Melisandre's heading south, and she seems like the Brotherhood or allies of sorts she might seek out. And she told Arya, we will meet again. So That's uh, that, a big I feel one, like yeah. that might all be set up there. Now, that said, my favorite, well, I've talked about this a few times. It's hard to say what a favorite character is, and I try to account for the bias of what's presented to us. Like a lot of times, yeah. people are going to end up picking, especially the more casual viewers are more likely to pick the characters that are more featured, right? Definitely. Arya, John, right? Yeah. But uh, my favorite characters, trying to not account, trying to account for that bias, have been Sansa the Hound and Bronn. Yeah. So given that, I want to see Sansa <laughs> and the Hound. I mean, there's no reason it couldn't be both. But yeah, yeah, definitely. No reason it could be both. I would say Sansa's more likely in the short term. <laughs> Uh, because they're going, he's going to, you know, Sansa's going to be at Winterfell probably. She's not in a moving target, you know. And if the Hound is going there, passing by Winterfell, if they're going to help fight the White Walkers, if that's their goal, seems like they'd want to talk to Winterfell. The Starks are known for being very pro-defending the North. Seems like that's all going to come together somehow. And let me tell you, the Hound has, as we've talked about, the Hound has the potential to really crumble Littlefinger's House of Cards. Which is that he can tell Sansa that Littlefinger betrayed Ned Stark. He was the witness to that. He was in the yeah. throne room when that happened. That's a big yeah. deal. And, and Littlefinger, for all his planning and scheming, that's not something he's going to see coming. He may, may not even, he, he, if he's even considered the Hound, he considers the Hound to be dead. Uh, so this is really not going to, this is really going to come out of nowhere. And he's not gonna be, he won't necessarily be able to see it coming and, and be, be able to react to it. All that said, I hadn't thought about this before, but my, my initial reaction, well, my very initial reaction is like, oh, that's right. But my follow-up reaction is like, might not matter. Littlefinger might be able to talk himself out of that. Like at that moment in time, it was a different world, it was a different scenario. Yeah. Does that make sense? He Just because he did that didn't necessarily mean he caused Ned to get killed, right? That was Joffrey's randomness. Littlefinger wasn't trying to get Ned killed. Does that make sense? Well, he was, but, uh, but no one knows that. It's probably... I suppose that's it's true. It's probably... Right. But that wasn't necessarily part of but, yeah. the plan that the Hound could reveal. That's right. an aside. You're right. That, that, yeah. That's just a needless complication there. But, yeah, so that's very... It's true. You're right. He... he, what, he's, he, he what he says may not be enough. Uh, it really depends on how it plays out. But Sansa's already kind of looking for reasons to distance herself from Littlefinger. So this really yeah. could be Sansa fuel might be, for that fire. Sansa might be looking for reasons to get Littlefinger close. It, she might, however much she might not like him or not trust him, he's got a freaking army, and and that's a good point. She, they need allies, and so and as and as as <coughs> as untrustworthy as he is, and she blatant says this flat out to John that only a fool would trust Littlefinger. He's right about a lot of things. You know, he's been his his reads on people 
have been accurate and she may value that to a certain extent. Not that she thinks he's a good person or anything. Obviously <laughs> she doesn't, but she may think she can use him a little bit and, yeah. and benefit from his, his expertise. And this could be a way to kind of keep him on his heels a little. Say, look, look what you did. Like you owe me, you know, <laughs> something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> if I tell John, you know, even yeah, if Filipino yeah. might be explaining himself to Sansa, but he'll have a hard time explaining himself to John. John right? is not as compromising yeah. as, as Sansa may be. <laughs> okay, good question. Let's move on. So I mentioned the term House of Cards, and there that reminds me of a question that's posed by the Sorrowful Storm. This one's not in, in the Q&A app. And he wanted us to discuss House of Cards comparisons, how who Frank Underwood and Claire Underwood compare to and how they would be a couple in Westeros. I thought this was a good question. Since Sean and I have watched House of Cards, not only have we watched it, we've watched it together. This is a, a, a pretty cool question. And I think George R. R. Martin has even commented on the, the cunning and, and ruthlessness of, of Frank and Claire Underwood. I believe he's a fan of the show as well. So They would definitely be Littlefinger and Cersei, I think, right? Like, <laughs> they may be. I think that, you know, Cersei is maybe a little... Especially at this point, maybe That's the closest we the can top, get to, yeah. But, uh, maybe yeah. she's a little more like halfway between Cersei and Olenna. I suppose House of Cards is good enough of a show. I don't necessarily want to spoil I want to be careful what I say. Yeah, we don't have to spoil plot people, points, yeah. Uh, it is... Uh, it's definitely a very intriguing show, and it has like a few things about it. I'm like, uh, you know, almost every... Yeah, especially when a show is really good in the first place and they do something you don't like or maybe something that's subjectively bad, if you could say that for sure, uh, it's extra frustrating, you know. Uh, and House of Cards is so good, the little things they do that upset me are extra frustrating. But it doesn't need to think about the comparisons. It is a pretty intricate political drama. I wonder uh, if Frank Underwood is even more like Tywin, you know, because he's more he's because he's so much more aggressive. It's hard to see what Littlefinger would be like if he was actually number one in charge. Would he would he still be all smooth and and you know talk nicely to people and not just yell at people? Because Frank Un Frank Underwood would yell and curse and and just like really. Although he spaces. usually reserves it. For certain moments, yeah, he's not like straight. He's usually starts off like sure. Hey. Well, Tywin's like that too. I mean, Tywin is he, he's angry, but he doesn't. Tywin doesn't yell. He kind of just seethes and just yeah. lets you know how angry he is by you know. But yeah, I, I see parts of both of them, I guess. And there's there. also we could be talking about their mannerisms versus yeah. their character, sure. Uh, their, you know their uh, motivations. There's lots of similarities. Similarities. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Claire it. Underwood is going to blow up, you know, the White House <laughs> <laughs> or the. I guess the equivalent would be like Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like the High Sparrow did, but you know, or like Cersei did rather. But hey, anyway, we should move on. A lot of people haven't even seen House of Cards. These comparisons probably go right over their heads. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but it is a good show. Recommend it. Uh, so here's a somewhat related question, also not in the Q and A. Dan of the Red Mountains, a.k.a. Dornish Dan, uh, mentions that if Battle of the Bastards reminds people of Braveheart, and it, it did, and Watchers on, or not Watchers on the Wall, sorry, Winds of Winter reminds people of Godfather, what other movies, iconic movies, would you like to see Game of Thrones Season 7 and 8 emulate? One thing I don't want it to emulate is Star Wars, even though I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's funny, th theory's been going around for a long time that, oh, what if Liana had two kids and they were separated at birth? And John is the one we know, and there's another one, just like, you know, Luke and Leia separated by, it's like, uh, this isn't Star Wars. <laughs> it's not a bad, those weren't bad theories, but there was never any evidence for them, so it seemed kind of tacked on, and, and 
in the show, it seems like that's just right out now. There wasn't a second baby there in that room unless, you know, they cut away. It just didn't show us that. But that would be really bad writing. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that they would have gone all this time and hold that off. And, yeah. like, well, what are they gaining from it? Why, why? Yeah, it's... So I don't want it to be like Star Wars. That's, that's what I can say that. <laughs> but, you know, I want it to be awesome like Star Wars. But I don't want it to be, you know, the same plot, <laughs> the <Yeah>. same twists <laughs> as Star Wars. Hmm, I guess, uh, I don't know... Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Robocop. Robocop. <laughs> Jamie could be Robocop. He's already got the... He can attach his hand, you know, get some new attachments for his hand. Um, hmm. <clears throat> I want to ponder that more. I I, uh, I think I could come up with some better questions if I give it some more thought. Or some better <laughs> answers. Uh, maybe... Um, I, all I can think of right now are funny ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, how do you want it to represent, you know, like, what what types of writing styles do you want to see? You know, here's this, I, I want to say that it's, it's interesting to think about because movies like that, they're written by, like, a lot of times they're just written by one person or maybe there's a co-writer. Whereas in a show like Game of Thrones, they have multiple writers each season. They have, like, pairs of directors. A director will do, like, a director did episode one and two. A different director did three and four. A different did five and six, seven and eight, nine and ten, etc. And, but, and the writing is shared by a bunch of different writers and the showrunners. And so there's like, you, you get different takes and different feels. And it's, so that for that reason, it's kind of hard to translate to movies that are written by just one pe- person or a team of people that's consistent. Yeah. Although um, that's, that's kind of what the question is talking about is the idea that this episode seemed to fe- have this a feel that other episodes don't, yeah. you know? And, uh, and, and, uh, and that's kind of what I'm thinking in terms of like a lot of, uh, the quote unquote, you know, we'll say the Braveheart episode wasn't quite as much about style. Uh, it wasn't quite as much about... Uh, yeah, it wasn't quite as much about style as it was about what was happening. It was like this sort of medieval battle. Does that yeah. make sense? And not to say there weren't any style similarities, um, but the uh, I think that the... We'll say, you know, the Godfather episode, while there were some similarities to the plot of Godfather, I guess, I think it was a little bit more about style that was mm-hmm. making that scene. Yeah, the, the, oh, he yeah. even specifically said so. he was aiming to capture the baptism <laughs> scene. <laughs> From Godfather in the in the opening moments, which is, if you haven't seen Godfather, there's like a baptism interspersed with a bunch of gangland murders. So it's kind of like good and bad happening together, and it's this person celebrating, you know, this this really important moment. Meanwhile, there are these mor- murders that they've ordered are happening. Tragedy is occurring at the same time. As yeah, like death and birth. Um, but I, so I my mind is steered toward directors that have a distinct style, right? Mm, okay. And uh, <clears throat> so maybe it's Stanley Kubrick. Okay. I don't want David Lynch. I don't want crazy stuff that I can't even follow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I don't like David Lynch. It's just he's confusing. And Game of Thrones is already confusing. So he, we don't need it to be more confusing. <laughs> but for what it's worth, he has a few movies that are a little bit more standard. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I like some of his films. I just don't want that straight, style for Game uh, I hope Thrones. I'm thinking of the right director, but I'm pretty sure he did The Straight Story, which is a very more oh, I don't know that one. natural narrative. I don't think I've heard of that one. Hmm. It wasn't a big hit. It's not the type of movie that's going to be a big hit, but uh, it starred this old guy in Iowa 
who had a brother and they were both aging and he mm. just wanted to reconnect with him before he died. Mm. But he's so old, like he can't get a driver's license. He's half blind. And he drives his lawnmower, his riding lawnmower <laughs> across the Midwest to his brother. And along the way, he encounters different people and everything. Nice. You know, so. All right. Well, let's move on from that. That's a really good question, but it's very hard to answer. Y'all can certainly feel free to let us know what you think. Ooh, we could have a Wes Anderson episode. <laughs> the Lannisters. Definitely feel free to continue to ask us questions. Keep posting them in the Q&A there. We can see we've got a, a, a good turnout so far. And uh, as it typically goes, more people join in as the episode comes uh, at flows along. So we'll keep the questions going. Let's see here. Here's a good one from John Roberts. Will we see Bran have a vision of Rhaegar and Lyanna showing whether they were in love or if she was truly kidnapped? I think that it would be important for them not only to clear this up for people, but it's pretty clear that they haven't, they've made it, they, they've certainly had all the clues in place for people to figure out that it's Rhaegar, but they have not made it like blatant or even talked about it openly very much at all. So I think a lot of casual to semi-casual, even some more attentive viewers maybe aren't clear on that, or maybe it is, maybe they think it's possible, uh, whereas to, to us it's like, obvious and automatic there isn't really another option i know some of you out there have your theories on who else might be the father and i won't say you guys are wrong but i really don't think there's any other theory that that makes sense i think it's Rhaegar. period end of story and yes they're saving that to have a big reveal to like they, they didn't want to space it out they're saying okay the first reveal is that oh it's not ned it's not the father and oh it is liana and they're going to hold on to this, oh, but he's a Targaryen. You know, that's like going to be a big reveal as it happens on the show. It's going to be big for him to find that out, you know, that he has that blood. If he finds out. I assume he will. You're right. It's possible I sort of won't. assume he will, too, but I think it would be interesting. Uh, There's a tiny chance he doesn't find out, I suppose. So. Like, Caitlyn died without ever, without ever finding out that he wasn't really a bastard. You know what I mean? That yeah. It might be kind of tragic. Uh, she didn't find out that her sons were. She didn't find out that Brandon yeah. were actually alive. Yeah, yeah that's pretty harsh. <laughs> She, she probably thought Arya was dead, too, and she didn't know that Sansa got away from Tyrion. So, yeah, you know, it was a pretty bad, pretty bad circumstances for her. Um, so I still I, think Jon puts himself in harm's way. Sure, he got brought back to life, but it doesn't say, doesn't mean he can't be killed again. Yeah. And, uh, and it may add to the tragic nature of it is it's just as it's realized by the audience or maybe Sansa or some mm. other character, his true identity, just as he's being killed. Like, oh, what a loss that would be, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, to, to answer the question more directly, whether they were in love or if she was truly kidnapped. Now, I'm, I'm convinced, and have been for some time, that there was no kidnapping, no rape. There, and one of the main reasons for this, besides circumstantial evidence, besides the fact that Liana had nothing negative to say about Rhaegar, and despite the fact, or and because of that, rather, the fact is that she whispered a name to Ned, saying his name is blank, and it wasn't John. Are we sure that she yeah, whispered we're, that? Yeah, we're like, sure that it's not John, because... No, no, are we sure she whispered a name? Yeah, yeah, she said okay. his name is. Absolutely. Okay, I, uh, I just didn't hear that. Yeah, and if they had a name picked out in advance... <laughs> you don't pick out a name with your for your for your kid with your rapist. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So she would have that that's not that's not how it works. So I you know people just don't do that. That's not very realistic at all. So I really really don't think it was a rape. I really think it was 
I think there's further Consensual. a further clue. I think the conversation that Barristan had with Danny. Yes. Last season, I'm pretty sure. Yes, last season. Right I think before, that was like right before he died, basically. And, and and also like a couple other times when someone else has referenced it. it it's not. I think you said a minute ago that uh, Liana didn't have anything bad to say about Rhaegar. Neither did Ned. Neither did Ned. Neither did Barristan. Neither did several other characters. And he had chances to. Littlefinger didn't either, right? The other people, right? Uh, when it comes up, this idea that she raped and murdered, uh, that uh, Rhaegar raped and murdered, everyone, what everyone, several times, another character that seems to be in the know is like, uh, Season uh, let's one. Let's change the subject. Yeah. Let's talk about something different. Season you know? one, episode one. Robert goes to see the statue in the crypts and says, yeah. how many times did he, you know, did he rape your sister? And Ned doesn't say a thing. <laughs> yeah, Ned just doesn't. He knows he can't be on Rhaegar's side there for Robert, but he also has a hard time, like, yeah, uh, he, he can't be, he can't be against him, but he can't, he has, he's uncomfortable being on the same side. It also makes him angry. Can't, Ned, it makes uh, Ned angry because the reason that Robert and Ned, Robert and Ned quarreled when, when Robert found the Targaryen kids dead at court, killed by Gregor, and you know, on probably on Tywin's orders. The the Targaryen kids that were Rhaegar's kids that were killed at King's Landing after the after Jaime killed the Mad King, or around the same time. Ned Ned was upset that this happened, and Robert was like, "Well, someone had to kill them," and they argued over it, and it was only Lyanna's death that brought them back together, and. When they argue about murdering Daenerys, it's that same argument yeah, played yeah, out again. Because yeah. he's like, no, I, you don't kill kids, damn it. You know, this is what we stood up to the Targaryens for. This is why we rebelled against Ares, because he was murdering people. He murdered children. He mur he ordered these people to come to him, and then he killed them. You know, he, he broke the feudal contract. You know, he, he was not a king anymore. By their by their measure, so yeah. So uh, anyway, that was a bit of an aside, but it, yeah, it's, it's all, I, it all relates. Yeah, I think that that conversation with Barristan was meant to let us know as an audience that Rhaegar wasn't this tyrant. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. <clears throat> Again, I'll try to be have the Ansoli perspective here. I, I think that's the first time in the show that he was actively, positively spoken of. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like. Uh, Barristan is someone who doesn't have a bias, right? Even yeah. Ned or Littlefinger might have a... But generally speaking, he's like this trustworthy character. Barristan Selmy is like this honorable character. Why would he lie to Danny about the nature of her brother, right? Right, when Which, other... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Especially so, when he was honest about her father. Right. So I think if you consider yeah. the source, it's trustworthy. And if you consider the, the, the placement of that in the series, I think its purpose, partly at least, was to let the audience know... Rhaegar was actually a good guy, not a kidnapper and a rapist, not a mad son to Ares. He was, <laughs> actually, a, he was actually a good guy, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it contributes to, the, to everything not adding up, right? Yes, definitely. <clears throat> okay, so let's move on. That was a very good question. Uh, from AU Pat Packmule. What is your favorite twist in season six, and do you have a twist this season that really surprised you? Hmm. I hmm, I was actually surprised at the King in the North. In retrospect, I shouldn't have been. There's there's foreshadowing for it in some other places. There's some book foreshadowing for it, maybe. Um, some people told me I maybe missed some things. Uh, and some other people who are book fans said they saw it coming. But I didn't, so that, so whether I should have ex expected it or not, I didn't. So that was, very, that was a surprise to me. Um, what about you? I'm trying to think about the twist, my favorite twist. That's not necessarily my favorite yeah. twist. It's not my favorite twist. I liked it, but it wasn't my favorite. I'll say, um, let me see, a couple thoughts. One is the King of the North thing, for, uh, from my perspective, 
I barely thought it was a twist. It didn't particularly surprise me. I, I wasn't necessarily actively ex- actively expecting it, but I think that I might have been passively or subconsciously expecting it. Hmm. I, okay. Um, well, again, when I think about it, I, I guess it should be kind of a surprise that that happened, but I just feel like it's just the way everything was going. It, mm. didn't, uh, it seemed natural to me, more so than a twist. Yeah. Generally speaking... I don't really like twists. <laughs> Maybe we need to define what a twist is, but I feel oftentimes like a twist is like a trick. You're like tricking the audience. And I don't really like that. It's especially when the way it's often done is by withholding information until the last minute. Mm-hmm. What I appreciate, which I think Game of Thrones does a lot of, is they give us all the information. And I feel like when the twist or the surprise or whatever comes, I like when you realize... Oh, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. like this sudden surprise. It's not this last minute bit of information we got. It's something that was kind of there all along that finally happened. Mm. And so, again, I'm not quite sure how to define a twist, but I feel like a lot of times a twist is something that's a little unfair. And, okay. and I, I think Game of Thrones usually doesn't do that. Um, and so I don't, it's hard for me to think about what my favorite one would be when I'm not sure which ones are even twists. And I don't like twists in the first place. And all that said, it leads me to what my least favorite twist was, because I do think it was a twist for uh, our for Arya to not be Jake in there. I feel mm. like they gave us all these clues. Yeah, I agree. Right? That was my least favorite twist. Uh, <laughs> the, that she was really stabbed. Yeah. That's not a twist. Yeah, really, but I feel like she the way it's if a you fake out. Think yeah. about the way that she was behaving. Think about the way things are gone. If you kind of piece together the what's being presented to us, we have this superficial obvious thing that's happening that doesn't make sense and so we come up with a theory of what it might actually be but then it actually was a thing that didn't make sense and i guess that's a twist and i didn't like it so yeah yeah i agree now i i do i don't mind twists i i like i kind of agree with what you're saying that it's a a quick twist can be can be awkward it's just to trick people that's no that's no good i don't like being just being tricked that's that's kind of it can be cool like i like being surprised but a lot of i agree with you i think game of thrones does twists pretty well because they usually do set them up and sometimes if you miss it it's because you 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 missed the clues for it not because it was just out of nowhere another twist i liked was was the hold the door that that hodor came from the, the word hold the door that that was cool that that was pretty surprising too to be honest i, I did not see that coming i knew that there's obviously some mystery there, but it's, it wasn't something that we had a lot of evidence for either way. So it's kind of like, well, that's a mystery, but I can't really dig into it because there's no, there aren't any clues. There's not much evidence to kind of pick apart. So that was something. I also liked the, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a twist, the, the Great Sept pl- plot of blowing up, you know, with the wildfire. If you call that a twist, I really liked that one. It was somewhat surprising. It was heavily foreshadowed. So in a sense, it wasn't a twist because we saw it coming. But it was set up really well anyway. And yeah. So it's a very good question there. Uh, feel free, folks, to send in. I want to see see y'all comment there. Post in the comments section what your favorite twists and, and least favorite twists and most surprising twists were. This is... Uh, this is supposed to be a community effort when we're doing these Q&As. It's a chance for us all to geek out together. So I definitely want to hear from you all and, and, and get your opinions on these things. Okay, moving on. Here's a question that has been asked by a couple people. The first person I saw ask this question was our very own uh, Rowanick Cantrell, who is now our king beyond the wall on Patreon. The question is also asked by our question-asking MVP, Guillaume Eske. So I'm going to select this question in the Q&A app so people can see it. But 
just to be fair, a lot of people ask this question, but um, I did see Rowan at Cantrell ask it first. Anyway, the question is, how do you think Tyrion will react when, he'll, when he learns about Ilaria killing Marcella? He, seems to, he did seem to love her. Do you think it could impact this, this advice to Danny regarding the Sand Snakes team? Yes, absolutely. This is a huge problem. It, it, it absolutely parallels the situation with Davos and Shireen. So, yeah, this is really important. I think this is a problem. This is Danny's got to have some things that are, you know, conf, uh, build conflict. Because as we've said, her she looks like a juggernaut right now. And this is a, this is something that could definitely yeah. be a bit of a stumbling block. Before we dive in too deep, I want to point out this question. It's going to lead me to other co- a couple other topics I wanted to talk about that I sort of assume other people are going to ask about, too. Right on. Because I wanted to know about the interaction between uh, Tyrion and, let's say, the Martells, right? The, yeah. Uh, there, there's, like, an alliance being formed there that there's a conflict with. But there are, there are a couple other, like, kind of coming-togethers that I want to know more about, that I ex- want... To understand better, see where they're going. Let's. Uh, we should set a little groundwork. You, you, okay. It's important that you br- brought out Tyrion and the Dornish because it was Tyrion who sent Marcella there in the first place. Right. Yeah. He sent her to Dorne in order to marry Tristane to have an alliance with the Dornish, which was at a, came at a crucial time when the you know it was during the War of the Five Kings, where the Lannisters really needed to shore up their alliances. They could not afford to have Dorne as an enemy, and having them as an ally you know, is even better than not having them as an enemy. So that was really important. Um, so not only is Tyrion's reaction important, but Daenerys' reaction is important too. Because Daenerys is not okay with the murder of children. Yeah. And Marcella was an innocent, effectively an innocent. She did no, she caused no political harm to anyone, no real harm to anyone. She was pretty much just a pawn and she was underage and the killing her arguably set the stage for more war. So it wasn't even like a peace move. It wasn't even something to done for the greater good. Even if that was a legitimate argument, and it maybe even isn't. But even if you even if it was, it doesn't apply here. So yeah, I think it's a pretty major problem. And it's not worthy. They killed Tristan also. Yeah, you're another right. kid, right? I don't know how old he was, but I don't think he was. He was he was in his teens. I mean, he's a, yeah. probably an adult by Westerosi standards, but still, pretty much an innocent. Yeah. And technically, Daenerys' cousin as well, distant cousin, but still a cousin. Yeah. The, the, the the Dorn the remember that the Dornish have married the royal family twice. Rhaegar's marriage to Elia Martell, who is Doran's sister, was the first marriage. Or second marriage of the Dornish into the royal family. And there, there was one back in maybe 100 years before the start of the show slash books. So he, that's, a, that's distant kin, you know. So that's, a, that's very so, problematic. Well, <laughs> so let me back up a little bit because, again, this kind of leads into another thing I want to know about. We've yet to see Danny interact with Varys. Yeah, they just, right? we finally see them together and it's just standing on the prow of a ship. They haven't yeah. even talked. They haven't had a conversation yet. And so Varys is the one that set this alliance up. Mm-hmm. And on some level, Danny must be okay with it. How much did Varys tell Danny? How much did what questions did Danny ask? What questions are yet are going to be asked? How yeah. you know what? I I sort of anticipate they're going to land in Dorne to regroup and set up their assault or whatever. And at that time, I imagine there might be some conflict. Now it's hard for me to believe that they're going to spend this. I assume days, weeks, at least months long journey with all these <laughs> boats without ever talking about anything. I. I kind of wonder, almost expect, kind of makes sense 
that we should get some dialogue on the ships for this journey. Maybe not, but it seems like you have all these key characters, several of which haven't interacted before. Plans need to be made. Uh, I think they won't do any serious talking until they land, simply because it's expensive to shoot scenes on a ship, so they won't bother to film dialogue scenes on a ship, you know? Maybe, except dialogue scenes might be a little easier in a cabin. Does that make sense? Like, they did yeah, it with Theon sure. in season one. They did it with Sam and Gilly this season, right? So, um, especially if they already, like, have enough footage from the, what this season with images of the boats and drags possible, of water, yeah. they could just, like, show an intro shot. Then show Danny and Tyrion in a cabin talking to each other, or Danny and Varys, or whoever, you know. Yeah. Um, may, maybe not, but it. I hope so, because it seems weird to me that they're going to go weeks and weeks and weeks on a boat. Without it's not like, I'm too busy things. to talk about anything right now. i got to go collect taxes, or I don't know what the heck they would have I'm to do. The they would stop them the, from talking to look each at other. the pretty whales yeah. swimming by. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do think that's a big problem, and I do think that it, it will maybe go a bit like... It can't quite go. It can't go the way Davos and Melisandre and John went regarding Shireen because John has the power to send Melisandre off without suffering a lot of consequences. But she can't. Daenerys can't simply say, "Okay, we don't need Dorne after all." That that's not politically expedient, and it's not. Maybe, I mean, maybe she will, even though she can't. She might do that. It might be a mistake. But it, like we were saying, well, Danny is just now learning. I mean, with the fact that she left Dario behind. Because it wasn't because it was the right thing to do. I think that's kind of this is of, of the the mind that she's of. She's not going to throw away all the Dornish support because these rulers did something terrible like that. I, I think she might. I think you're right that. But I, I seriously doubt she will just say no. Screw Dorn entirely. She might want to try to replace the leadership there. She might want to say no. You right, guys aren't worthy yeah. of being in charge here. But she will not. I really don't think she's going to make an enemy of them like that. I really doubt. Um, and especially because her advisors, even Tyrion, will will not want them to make an enemy. It's not like she's going to take someone that's trying to be her ally, but made a mistake, and prayed them up in front of a crowd and chopped their head off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, uh, yeah. She's grown since then. <laughs> so, but that's that's actually a good point, because she thought, she thought she was doing the right thing there. She was legitimately surprised by how that crowd reacted. Mm -hmm. That might be why she doesn't make that mistake this time. Sand Snakes thought they were doing the right thing when they killed Doran. Uh, Danny might think she's doing the but right they thing didn't when think, she punishes him for but it. But that's not, that's not the same kind of right thing. We're not talking about the right thing. We're talking about misjudging the reaction. The Dornish okay. re judged their reaction went exactly as they thought they would. As unrealistic as, as some of us may have thought it was, the palace guards were even in on it. They were like, yeah, right on. That's but Danny was mistaken in how she would how people reacted to her having that guy executed. I hey. wonder, maybe even hope, they just moved past Dorne. One scene in the first episode, done with it. Move move on to other stuff. I really <laughs> doubt it. I think that's exactly where they're going to land. I think they're going to land there. Um, it's it, they right, could land, in saying, their... land there. Have one conversation. <laughs> Move on. Done with it. <laughs> Episode one. Maybe this will be the conversation they have. I hope yeah. they don't just skip over that. It's possible, but yeah. it feels like it. Feels I hope like they do a important. good job. I hope they do a better job than they've done in the past. I feel like almost everything they've done in Dorne has been poor. So. Yeah, Dorne is, is, is definitely the weak. <laughs> the weak spot. <laughs> but it's not, it's, you know, it could get better. I, 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 it, just because it's been bad doesn't mean it has to stay bad. Yeah. 
So and we can uh, hope again, for, we can be optimistic. As you said, <laughs> there's so many different storylines going on. I I don't like stuff that's going on with Dorne, and I love Game of Thrones. So. Yeah, and it's and so, uh, Dorne like couldn't ruin season six because it was hardly a part of it. You know, it, it, the killing of the. Yeah. Killing of Doran was surprising. That was a twist that we didn't see necessarily see coming, but uh, it was brief. <laughs> okay, let's move on. We spent a lot of time on that one. Here's a qu- another question. This is a qu- this sets up another question. Uh, this question has been asked by several people. Even though again we have our question MVP Guillaume Escape as the person on point here. What is Cersei the actual queen of? Clearly not Dorne, or the Reach, or the Vale, or the North, or the Riverlands without Walder, or the Westerlands after Kevin and Lancel, or the people from King's Landing after the Wildfire. Well, I'm not sure I agree with all those, but the general yeah. point I agree with. She, the, she doesn't have all, the Seven Kingdoms under her thumb at all. Dorne is certainly an enemy. The Reach is certainly an enemy. The Vale is not necessarily an enemy, but they probably are an enemy because they've kind of fought, signed up with John. She doesn't necessarily know that. Now, partly also, Cersei is unaware of how tenuous her hold in some of these areas are. She has to know that she's going to provoke a reaction from the from the Tyrells. That's obvious. She has to know that she's already wants to kill the Dornish herself because they have already basically come out come after her family. So that those two were already off the table to begin with. Now. The Riverland, she probably thinks she has, but as we as with Walder's death, yeah, she probably doesn't. <laughs> Although she doesn't, she may not necessarily have their support, but she doesn't necessarily not have their support. Walder Frey die, every Frey didn't die. There's specifically a bunch of Freys, right? Yeah, the main and, two Freys are the main three Freys are all dead, so they're kind of they may not be able to offer much help, and they may have their hands full with yeah. with the revolts that we heard were happening in the Riverlands. But there also those revolts may if a new will say good, you know, charismatic leader in the right place at the right time, steps up and takes charge. The, the people who are revolting might have not liked Walter Frey because he's been there so long and been so bad, but maybe a new person rally everyone together and, uh, you know, stabilize things or get an alliance. And, I don't think that person would be able to rally the Riverlands to the Lannister cause, though. That maybe was, not. That's not, that's but, super unlikely because that's who they were, that's who the people were rebelling against in the first place. But he's, he's not necessarily going to rally them against the Lannisters either. Right? Well, they wouldn't be against the Lannisters. They just wouldn't be allies of the Lannisters. They would that would yeah. that would make them de facto enemies of the Lannisters. Like if you're not if you're the king or the queen and someone isn't doesn't swear allegiance to you, they're an enemy. They don't necessarily they're not necessarily coming for you, but that's treason. Right. I'm not necessarily arguing. So they with would that. they'll be at odds. But when we're thinking right at odds, right? But there's a difference between the Riverlands and the Tyrells teaming up to attack King's Landing and the Tyrells coming to attack King's Landing and the River Run. You know, the Riverlands just staying out of it. You know, I, but well, I, it doesn't necessarily mean Cersei is queen of the Riverlands, right? But, but I do think she potentially is. She potentially well, she thinks she can is. have control there. <laughs> thinks she is. Like, uh, you know, the question says clearly she's not queen of these seven or whatever things. Well, yeah. I think she, clearly she's not queen of two or three of those. Two or three of them are maybe up for debate. I think and she does have the West, for example. Right, and right. I think she does have the West, and she has. I mean, some of these might be minor, might not matter, but I think she has Dragonstone. She has the Crownland. She has. She may have Euron. She should have the Crownlands. Uh, yes. She may even have the Vale. It's not clear. Like Littlefinger mm, could go no. either way. Like uh, she doesn't have the Vale. Like I think. Right. I don't think it's safe for her to assume she has a Vale right now. But if excuse me, if Littlefinger is maneuvering against John. It might be a long-term plan, and it may not come to fruition, but 
I can just... Yeah, but here's the thing. We all agree that Cersei's hold on power is terrible. It's ten, sure. super tenuous. So Littlefinger is uh, ambitious. So there's just it's really hard to imagine that he would want to ally with her. Yeah. Right? So I just don't see that happening. Yeah. So I, I think... Even Lena Headey herself says she's not going to be able to hold on to power. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't, she's like, I don't see how she's going to be able to hold on to this power. And she's, she's desperate. She knows she's desperate. And, you know, her kids are dead. Let's, all that said, though, let's compare her hold on power to any other character. Who, who does have a good hold on Everyone's hold on power is tenuous. No one will, no. She may no, not be powerful I, I don't agree queen, with that. but I think she has more power than any other character. Other, other than Danny. Other than Danny. John has more power than, than Cersei does it right now. Like, she, he has the Vale and the North, and the fact is they're really loyal to him. They want to follow him. They're like, a, they're like acclaiming him. They basically voted him king. That, there's nothing the that compares is, to he, that. There, there is. There's the zombies that are coming. He has well, a threat that's greater than anyone else's threat. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about. That we're, the threats don't impact how much, how much power he has in terms of who's following him. We're talking about how much support he has, not, how, not how, what threats he's faced with. Because I mean, arguably Cersei is faced with an even bigger problem than that. Right. Right. So Cersei is also, like, here's the thing. Say Cersei had the Vale and had the West and had the Riverlands. Say she yeah. did have all these things that maybe are in contention or maybe are debatable. Or maybe she just lost or she thinks she has, but we know she does. Say she just had them all. Yeah. doesn't matter. She still can't stop Danny and all those forces. Right. Danny just has That's what I'm saying. Right John now, doesn't, right? John doesn't have, John has the wall to protect his, his army right now. Yeah. He, he, you know, it's, the threat of the White Walkers is there, but it's, it's, it's still kind of not tangible. Whereas... The threat of Danny is extremely tangible to Cersei, and we know that she doesn't have loyalty. Whereas John has, you, Ma- John and Danny both have like people really willing to follow out of loyalty, not out of fear. And, and we the know thing how is, much, if you take away the the fact that Danny's coming, yeah, which I know is a big thing to do, but just for when we're talking about the state of Cersei's power, if you take that away, sure, she doesn't really have any threats to her. Right, I mean, she has a lot of threats. They've to all her. been balled up, and Danny coming at her. I, but, I don't, I don't agree with that. She still has lots of threats because. If she did, if there wasn't Danny, then there would still be the Tyrells. There'd still be Dorne, and there'd still be the uh, the fact that the Vale in the North is broken apart, and that the fact that Walder is dead. Like she still, these are all threats. Yeah, she has n- none of the kingdoms except maybe the West, and even that is not certain. Are hers basically under her control? I wonder what her next step. I wonder what she thinks is going to happen next. Yeah, I don't think she. Know, I don't think she knows either. But but that's, that brings us to our next question, actually, which I think is one of the options she does have. A lot of people are suggesting this including myself, do we think a Euron-Cersei alliance is possible in the future? I doubt Cersei is open to marriage, but... Or do we think we'll see Euron's fleet but in time to meet Danny's armada on the Narrow Sea slash her first test before Westeros? Does he stand a chance? Okay, so, looking at Cersei's options, this is an option that she has. This is a potential ally that... who, who isn't a great fit for anyone else. Euron is not a good fit to be an ally for, say, Jon. Euron is a bad fit to ally with Danny because... The other Iron Islanders have convinced Danny of what a bad guy Euron is, correctly so. And so he's set up to be some sort of villain, and allying with Cersei, you know, they're both allies of circumstance. That that makes sense. I don't know. I agree that the marriage prospects are, are slender there. I also think it just doesn't matter. I don't think that if even if Cersei had the Veil vale and the West and Euron and all his ships, like... Euron and his ships might be match up well against Danny's ships. I- I'm not sure, but I-, I feel like it's probably close, right? Because Danny has ships from Marine, ships from 
from the Iron Islands yeah. and ships from the Martell. Like, she has this huge... Maybe all together that Navy doesn't match. Well, the Iron Barns fleet but, should be better crewed and sailed, should have better captains and sailors than... With the exception of the people that, I, that Asha right. and, or that Yara and Theon right. brought. Normally it might, except that they lost maybe some of their key members. Sure, but and no, those but key not, members went to the other side. They didn't right? lose so, that many... There's no evidence that they lost that much of their key members. Like, more right. people voted for Euron than for Asha. So yeah. Euron has more Ironborn than Asha and Theon. Yeah. So there's no reason to think that Asha and Theon have like the cream of the crop. That doesn't make sense. That's just a, that would just be a random assumption. So we have to assume that there's a pretty even distribution of talent on both sides, but there's more yeah. quantity on Euron's side. So that's pretty but significant. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure if there's more quantity, but let's say no, there, there is. is. No, there definitely is. There there definitely definitely is. Is. How would Euron have gotten elected if there wasn't more quantity on Asha's side? No, I mean ships. It, I was talking about total ships. Sorry, sir. That we have no idea. Uh, that, that's just a guess. I have no idea how many ships but, they're going to have. I'm just saying the talent. I meant yeah. the talent, not the quantity yeah. of ships. Um, regardless, though, yeah. even if I, I think it's probably close to even, but let's say the scales are tipped to Euron definitively. Sure. The dragons just totally tip the scales back the other way. Well, yeah, I agree with that, except. We're, if we're talking about a sea battle, we don't have to assume that the sea battle happens when the dragons are present. We're, if we're talking about them, like Euron coming to intercept them as they try to land in your Westeros, then I agree. Then the dragons are going to be there. That's going to be too. But, but Danny's army isn't just going to be one contained unit once she lands. It's going to be going to have to go in different directions. There's going to be split offs. There's going to be different units and, and generals and stuff like that. And that's when the Iron Fleet can do its damage when the dragons aren't around. If they're not, you know, if they're not. That's the one of the things the Ironborn are good at, striking at weak points. That's the, the power of, of... It's like, you know, it's just like... This is where we're supposed to think of them as the Viking culture. That's what the Vikings were experts at. They were they using their mobility to hit... To, to spread the opponent thin, because you never know where they're going to attack. You can't mash your defense in one place, because you never know where they're going to land. And so they can strike. And dragons are not good at responding to that either. Because you've only got three of them. And they're not even that well-controlled right now. They're like, only one of them even has a rider. What's Danny going to do? Just go be everywhere at once? So if, she, if he sends detachments of ships, like 15 over here, 20 over here, 30 over here, that's going to be real hard for the dragons to deal with. Real hard. Um, and now, I'm kind of just coming up with ideas here because we need to. Like, as you <laughs> say, Danny's army seems overwhelmingly strong. It, it can't just be that simple. So I know what you're saying, like on paper... It looks bad for Cersei, and it should look bad. But I don't think it's just going to be super easy. And here's the other thing about the dragons that might throw things off. Two things that can throw them off. Weather. Two yeah, different yeah. kinds of weather. Winter's coming. Winter yeah. and storms. Dragons and storms, if there's a storm, a storm could just mess up Danny's fleet, and the dragons wouldn't be able to... Obviously, the dragons can't do anything about that. And you know, that could that'd be one way for some adversity to strike. That would be a little random. Just, oh, look at that. A storm takes out a bunch of Danny's fleet. Like, that's just... They decided to write that in, you know, just to make, just to weaken her. Maybe that would be cheap, but it's not, it's not unrealistic. Um, and who knows what Euron will be. Like, we've hardly seen the scratch the surface on what Euron's capable of doing, you know. Um, and I think that he's going to show some skills and talents that we haven't been privy to yet. Yeah, this is uh, tangenting out from this question, but probably other questions are going to ask this too. Uh, is I do think there's got to be some other obstacle for Danny, and, yeah. and you're on ships may be an obstacle and may trip them up, but they're not going to stop her. She's just got too much, you know. Yeah. Like if, uh, <clears throat> if it was that easy, then her ships. If it was that easy for Euron's fleet to stop her, then it's that easy for her fleet to stop Euron. <laughs> on some level, yeah, she also has a dragon. Some level yeah. they're going to counter out, slow her down, but she still has the army, two armies really, plus the dragons and so on and so on. Um, so I feel like there, I, I do wonder, 
what will the obstacle be? Or maybe maybe it'll go different than we think. Maybe it'll be a twist. Like maybe she'll just roll right in and take over. Maybe it's just <laughs> burn King's Landing down. Will be Cersei else, will yeah. fold. Euron will join up, and the whole threat will be the zombies in the north. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could but be. Uh, but maybe Euron will have some his dragon of his own. You know. Maybe he's got some trick up his sleeve, or maybe Cersei has some trick up her sleeve. Uh, yeah. Now speaking of the. Let's move on to the next one here. Uh, speaking of the threat of the White Walkers in general, from James Gamet Clark. Here's a question that wasn't in the Q&A app. When will all the various spy masters and great lords hear of the White Walkers? And how will they react? That is a very good question because right now, the White Walkers have been kind of this shadow over everything. Kind of like a, it's like a, a great ongoing joke. It's like, Come on, guys, stop fighting over the throne. The real threat is this. And it's not just that they need to get their act together and deal with the real threat. They don't even know the real yeah. threat. It's like this long after six seasons in Daenerys, Cersei, all these major rulers, you know, Olenna, like the Dornish, they don't even, they haven't even heard of this problem. Like, it's not even like... Cersei's heard of it. Yeah, but, she's, you know, like everyone, she kind of just yeah. dismissed, it, dismissed it. And mostly she's heard about the wildlings. You know, she's heard about the maybe But remember, the even, rumors. The, even the Citadel in Old Town didn't even know that... Uh, Geo Geo Mormont was Mormont dead. Mormont was dead, right? Which so. is kind of odd, by the way. That doesn't necessarily make sense. Why didn't they know that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I thought about it a little bit, and I can imagine it might be that it was not long after Amon died, and he was struggling in the first place. And his yeah. sort of assistant... Like, who's sending those ravens? Like, Amon and Sam are the, the whole wall. Everything's... They're pretty distracted. They, they're, they're out of resources. They're out of talent. They may not have just been able to send that message. It's a possibility. I, you know? I, I don't buy that. I think that they could, should have. I think it's a small plot hole because yeah. it's just such a simple thing. It's not like some great task that takes hours. You just put, write a letter and send it. It's it's pretty simple. So anyway, but it's not a. It's obviously not an important problem. Really, it's just a, a side note. Um, it's also worth noting that that might be a thing to take for granted. They don't talk about this in show, but think of the reality mm -hmm. of writing a letter at that time. We just have like paper all over the place right now. Well, but no, but the maesters are the one people. The maesters have plenty of paper. That's not right. really an issue. I mean, at the walls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Plenty of paper all Absolutely. the time. Even Absolutely. when they're running out of food, they send messages. And, yes, they send messages yeah. all the time. It's not. It's it's not. A, it's not really a question. Um, because and certainly Sam didn't say that. Like he was asked why they didn't send the message. He didn't yeah, say that. Didn't no, I, we don't really have a reason to yeah. assume that that's the problem. Um. Anyway, so let's see. Let's move on. Here's a nice little catch. It's not a question. Just from our our friend Grant Dickerson pointed out, Cersei once said that she would jump from the highest tower if her children were taken away from her. Well, kind of jumping from the highest tower is what took her children away from her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's brutal. Maybe she still will, <laughs> you know, like... Maybe she just has a death wish. Yeah, yeah, maybe. We also had a... We talked about why Pycelle was killed in advance and thought it was kind of odd since he was going to the Sept anyway when it had just gotten blown up. Well, someone else provided a possible reason. This is from Tracy Van Winkle. Pycelle may have been killed in advance because he might actually know or remember the wildfire. It's not something he was like has in his conscious mind, but he was he was Grand Maester during Ares' time. 
he could it could have jogged his memory in the moment when Mar when Marjorie's like At trying the same to moment Marjorie's figuring out Picel might click in his head. Like, oh so my god, it's the right, wildfire. We go, yeah. So they just it, it wasn't likely he was going to figure it out, but it's a loose end they didn't want to take chances on. So kind of that makes sense. I like that interpretation. It doesn't absolutely have to be the answer, but I'd like that answer. It fits really well. Okay, another thing we missed uh, a nice cool parallel from the final episode was Daenerys leaving behind what made her happy, Dario. Whereas Cersei just kind of, you know, glorifying that you should do what makes you happy, even if it's brutal and cruel and, and nasty and, and everything. Hat tip to Sir Justin the Small for that one. Very good. I think that was actually... He, he when he wrote it to us, he said, I'm sure you guys didn't point it out because... It's maybe it's because it's obvious and it didn't need to be pointed out. Nope, we just missed it. And frankly, yeah. no one else pointed it out to us that we saw. If someone else pointed it out to us and we missed it, sorry, you you may maybe you were on top of it too. But I missed it. Good catch. All right, next question from the Q and A app. Uh, has seasons from Maester David has season six influenced you in any way on subject matter you'd like to cover in future episodes? Well, David, that's a, that question maybe is better for our book to show episode. So I hope you ask again because that we might get some different answers from some of our other people. By the way, we're going to have some guests on the book to show Q and A wrap up, not just Radio Estros, but some other people from around. Those guests are to be announced, so I'll keep that secret for now. But we'll announce them as it gets closer. Absolutely, it has. I want to think. I definitely. We already covered wildfire um, in our book to show episode in a, in a, from, from the book topics. Kind of makes me want to talk about it more, and it kind of makes me want to talk about certainly the walkers. There's there's certain things there that I've wanted to talk about more. I don't know. Has, has it inspired you to, to you know you only cover the show with me, and you're slowly working your way through the books a little bit there. Uh, has is there subject matter that this season has made you more interested in about the series that wasn't an interest to you as much before? Or is that kind of, that's kind of an open-ended question. It's kind of yeah. vague and, and, and large. But it's good to think about. And, and I think it's good for, for all you to, to have the question posed to you as well out there, all you watchers, to think about what topics in amongst the fandom, what things were brought out to a head in season six that weren't necessarily a big part of it before. I don't know if there's a... a necessarily a new one because my mind kind of wanders about this a lot but uh to reinforce i'm curious about the nature of the religions what mm. what's motivating the house of black and white and the red priestess red priestess yeah good point what was varus's vision and, and what did he hear whose voice was it uh there are definitely lots of things i feel have been left off and still kind of curious about and sometimes maybe those lead to other bits of interest like what's going on with gendry or, <laughs> or who even if like the fact is, you know, maybe possession is nine-tenths of the law. So, search is a queen. That's just all there is to it right now. But be curious to know who technically should be king. If you like, if you had to trace bloodlines back, you know, who is it? And who's going to carry on the Tyrell line? Is that is that really, truly the end of there? Is there no cousin or relative somewhere Yeah, it's really it's not clear. Line? Yeah, in the like, books, those things are clear because we uh, have these, like, pages, huge pages of families and appendixes show you, like, the family trees. And you know there's cousins out there. So you know that those are the answers. But in the book, in the show, we don't, they don't have time to mention those cousins. And even if they mentioned them, people would forget about them. They just, I can understand completely why that stuff is left out. But at the same time, it leaves us a little confused as to what, what the deal is. Like, I want to know who's been in charge of uh, the Stormlands yeah. for the, since Stannis died. You know, that yeah, was a I'm, while ago, and it's not even been mentioned. And it may not be relative to plot or a detail that's so much stuff going on in the show already that I'll mess with. But I'm still curious about yeah. it. Yeah. So. We want to know, like, who the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard is. And... 
if you look at the position of honor that Sir Gregor had in the crowning scene, there were all seven Kingsguard there. Gregor was the one standing by the throne. The other six were standing at the foot of the crown of throne. It's hard to imagine him being Lord Commander because he can't talk. Like, he can't issue orders. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think he's a Lord Commander, but they just didn't even, they just kind of whoop, went right over, went over that. Which, by the way, somebody asked us the question. I don't see it here. Um, I can't find it, but the question was... Is Jamie actually out of the King's Guard? Was he just removed from Lord being Lord Commander? So this seems to answer that question. Yes, he was removed from the King's Guard completely, not just as Lord Commander, because in the crowning scene there were seven King's Guard present, and certainly Jamie wasn't one of them. So that seems to seal the deal on that. Um, okay, let's take our quick mid-episode break, and we will be right back with lots more questions. You guys are great. We've got so many awesome questions, and I'm going to just keep apologizing in advance for not getting to all of them because there's just so many. <laughs> you guys are great. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, Sean, what is that strange, orangey, pink, sort of vaguely salmon-colored beverage you're drinking there? It's a peach strawberry drink. No Mountain Dew in it this time. Oh, wow. No, no soda mixture this time. You know something about Season 6 that it's, it's easier to see the things that are there and the things that aren't there. You know, sometimes it does, it's just natural. That's just human to notice what's there rather than what's not there. I noticed Gendry's not there. <laughs> <laughs> We've been noticing that for a while. One of the things that there's a debate running in the fandom a bit. A lot of people, especially book readers like season one, the most because it stays to the book closest to the books as much, which of course that makes sense. The more it diverges, the more it has to build on its own divergences. So of course it's going to get farther away from the source material. But season six is a contender for the most popular season of all time. Book readers tend to still like season one the most, but I'm starting to be sold on season six as, as, as better. Um, I need to rewatch season one, although I have rewatched part of it already to try to really settle that in my mind. Here's one of the things, that, here's my argument for season six being stronger. It has far more money spent on it, which by itself doesn't mean anything. You can spend money badly. So money mm -hmm. spent doesn't actually make it better. But there's just... There's no, like, battles. There's no, like, really epic scenery in Season 1. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's done really well in Season 6. So it's really cool. And there's there's twists and turns in Season 1. Ned being killed is a huge surprise to any TV watcher of TV, a consumer of TV shows, because it's just not the kind of thing that's done. But here's the thing. Here's my point I was getting at. You know what Season 1, Season 2, and even Season 3, and kind of most of the Game of Thrones has had a lot of, that we just really kind of were all kind of bored of? Gratuitous sex scenes. It had a lot of those. That's true. There's none of it in Season 6. Not one. The only, the closest thing to a sex scene in all of Season 6 was Jorah and, and Dario seeing some Dothraki doing it, like, off to the side when they're yeah. prowling around there. And that was just kind of a fringe thing. You've got, like, the implication of sex several times. Like, Pycelle with his prostitute that never got paid. Poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Yara, Yara and, and yeah. making out with a girl. Like, that's just implication. That's no actual... We're not actually seeing it. It's not thrown in our faces. It's like, this is important. And no, it's just a big waste of time, really, is what it is. And... Frankly, that's a relief to me. I'm like, ah, oh, they're not wasting time on that anymore. You know, they still have nudity. They, you know, they showed us a warty penis and they showed us, you know, plenty <laughs> of breasts, which I'm not complaining about any of that. I, they replaced it with some other scenes that people arguably think were pointless, like some of Tyrion's scenes with his dialogue. I like those scenes. I like those scenes. You like those scenes. A lot of people didn't like them. They called them filler. But the hey, if we're going to have filler, I like that kind of filler. The only way I, I kind of liked them better is if they showed Tyrion's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Anyway, so that's something that I like. That's a real positive that I think kind of went under the radar. I'm like, you know what? That's really that's pretty cool. They 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 didn't they upped the the blood this season. I mean, they just have yeah, loved yeah, they to just, get more graphic. They focus. They love to like show you a slit neck and just really like look at that. Look at that neck. Look at the blood coming out of there. Look no look at it. No Over seriously, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like. That's just. By the way, they, did you see? Remember the behind the scenes for the the bloody knife, the carving landsell? They have like yeah. the. It's a, like a specially designed knife where the blood comes out of it as it's pushed down. It's like a. He also additionally had like a, a cover across his forehead that oh. was being cut into, and yeah. the blood, the 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 knife itself, like, there was like a button that released blood <laughs> from the tip of the blade as he cut into the prosthetic forehead. That's really neat. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the questions. Uh, okay, so this is, relates to a question we had earlier. This is uh, talking about Rhaegar and the potential reveal for him. This question comes from Helene May. The show did not spell out who Jon's father is, though most know. Why? I've never dared to believe Rhaegar would be cast, but do you think it may happen next season in order to hype Jon's Song of Ice and Fire status in the story? Most of this question we've covered, but we didn't cover the possibility of Rhaegar being shown and having him cast and all that. Well... If he's going to be cast, it's going to be hard for that news not to leak because there's so much of the fandom is specifically honed in on casting news because they know how much you can glean from that. The, the word is out that casting news is, is rife with spoilers. So if they cast some, like, handsome young dude and give him a silver-haired wig, you know, well, yeah, well, that's kind of that's yeah. pretty blatant. We might find that out. But, yeah, I do think that's going to be a part of it. I do think that would be a good thing for them to show through flashback. They need to make that clear, and it would be kind of a rah-rah moment, like, oh, look at that, John, you know, John Targaryen, potentially. They may show us that they really were married, you know, even though that potentially could be contested marriage. That's an aside, because we don't know whether that, whether that would even matter, whether the contestation would matter, or whether it's even relevant right now. I mean, John was elected King of the North, being a bastard, so his bastard status, I think people make too much a deal out of that, because you can overcome that. The, the, the rules of the kingdom in terms of who can be king and who inherits, none of those things are set in stone. There isn't some higher authority to just make sure those things always happen. It's really just the what we call the energy of position or of who has more swords. <laughs> you know, Danny, Robert wasn't elected king. It wasn't his, he had part Targaryen blood and that helped him become king. But mostly it was because he was a charismatic badass that, that was a hero figure and uh, by acclaim is mostly why he was king. Those other things, being part Targaryen, that just supported it. That wasn't the reason, you know. It was just a, a supporting reason. So, what do you what do you think? Have you thought about this question much? You think that we'll see? You think it looks from a story point of view, from like a storytelling point of view? Do you think it's important that we see this character? I don't know if it's important. I I, I don't think it would be bad to show them, but I don't feel like it's important. I feel like they maybe have set the precedent by showing Ares, by talking about him. I think that maybe they're kind of. They showed Lyanna. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I would love to get more flashbacks. I, I was actually kind of hoping this season, I, going into this season, I was kind of suspecting that they may have a lot of what people might call filler. Um, but I think if the filler was a bunch of flashbacks, based on responses, I don't think people would have been upset by that filler. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I thought partly because it is interesting stuff that we want to see. It's new characters, stuff that was in the books, even though it was it's chronologically out of order. It was part of the books. It is part of the world and the story that can be shown to us. It is interesting to get more characters and imagery. And it would buy time mm. to let the, real, <laughs> the, the current books finish before the show gets on with too far. Good but, point, good point. Um, but uh, what I really hope is that... They just have another series. They just have, you know, like Robert's Rebellion. It's just another series that starts a few years from now that goes back 25 years and shows us 
you know, Rhaegar as a central character, as, as in not not this wonderful. We had a flashback. He's like the star of the show. I think that would be a neat thing. I do know? think, and they, I do think that that's the most likely thing. By the way, it's a question. I don't. Someone may have asked it somewhere. I'll just answer it, even if it hasn't been asked. The question is, what other types of material might HBO do with Game of Thrones after the seasons, after the series is over? Because they, you know, it's a cash cow for them, and there's plenty of fertile ground for them to make stories. One popular suggestion is Dunkin' Egg. I really don't see that happening, even though HBO bought the rights for it. Dunkin' Egg is a series of short novellas, prequels from set about 100 years, a little less than 100 years before the start of Game of Thrones. And the problem is, George has planned a lot of Dunkin' Egg novels, and there's only three of them to this date, to point. Like, so they would have to really make up a lot on their own. So I really don't see that happening. Whereas the Robert's Rebellion story, sure, there's things that the show, whoever the showrunners might be, it wouldn't necessarily be Dan and Dave. There's a lot of secrets in there they may not know. But as far as a the narrative, they've got to start to finish. You know, they've got all the key yeah. players. They know the basic high points of what happens. So I think it's a lot more, and there's a lot of familiar characters. I mean, there's Lyanna, there's Rhaegar, there's Ned, there's Robert. There's even, like, Stannis and, and characters Little like Finger. that. Randall Tarley, Littlefinger's around. Yeah, there's these, these characters are all, are all part of it. So there's a, that, that's just fertile ground for them to do something that people would automatically be excited for. I can't, it's hard to imagine it being as popular as Game of Thrones was, but it seems like it would be successful and they wouldn't need to have as big of a budget for fantasy elements because there wouldn't be fantasy elements in this. There wouldn't be dragons or white yeah. walkers or even direwolves. Which might cause it to be less popular as yeah. part of the draw. But hey man, they could go farther back. They could show Aegon coming over to conquer the Seven Kingdoms. They could do the actual get conquest. dragons back in the mix. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Less familiar characters, but more bigger on the fantasy elements. Yeah, yeah. you could have you could have the Valerian same world, and... the same feel, the same style. Uh, it would look really fantastic for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, and, and they um, might start off with a better budget too. You know. Like, yeah. So um, fingers crossed. Any of the any of those possibilities sound good to me. We'll take what we can get. Whatever Game of Thrones material they want to do. Okay, let's move on. Another question here from Westeros Liberty. Do you think Arya could pose as one of Kyburn's little birds to gain access to the mountain and Cersei? If so, will she live? Absolutely, that's a perfect way for her to infiltrate that, to infiltrate the Red Keep, to infiltrate Cersei's situation. She wants to get Cersei. She probably wants to get the mountain too, although it's unclear whether, how he can be killed at this point. You may need to burn him to kill him. Yeah, yeah she could do, she could do that. But she's going to need to be prepared for that. <laughs> Cersei, on the other hand, yeah, she could, you know, the little purse, we're just walking around the Red Keep, like, hey, hi, self, come here, I need to talk to you. Like, yeah. It's a perfect way for her to infiltrate the Red I really like that idea. Kind of surprised I didn't think of it on my own. Good job, Westeros Liberty. What do you think? Is that Does that just, like, strike you as, like, kind of the perfect scenario? Or maybe there's another, even better way. I don't know. Too perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, we know Arya's, the Cersei's on her list. So it's, it's not just that this would fit. It's that it's a sensible target for her. For one thing, it seems like on some level caution might be raised like Walter Frey and his sons being killed that's going to be news to the land right that's going to be Cersei's going to be like oh really hmm, hmm. I wonder who did that Kyburn Master Whispers are like I wonder who did that yeah, let me get some know. information yeah. on this who, who <laughs> was seen around who would have motivation uh, I don't know how important it'll be for Arya in general to keep her identity <clears throat> revealed or secret rather yeah speaking of the little birds you wonder that it was originally Varys that had control of you know, that's what that's how he got information and Kyburn kind of took a page out of Varus's playbook, so to speak, and you wonder if Varus is gonna try to maybe 
win their loyalty back? Is that going to be like a Master of Whisperers battle? <laughs> <laughs> battle for the children? <laughs> Give me them back. No, they're mine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Battle of Whisperers. <laughs> what are they saying? I can't hear them. <laughs> okay, yes, good Good call by Westeros Liberty. Okay, another one. You're not even a real maester. You're not even a real man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from uh, Kieran, uh, Kieran O'Hagan. I'm sorry if I get your name wrong. I looked it up before, and, and I've now forgotten if I'm saying it right. So, Anyway, do you think Cersei will go full Ares and burn King's Landing down next season? She could take out a large chunk of Danny's army as it attempts to sack the city. I don't know. I kind of don't think they'll go to the well twice on that. Um... Well, three times on that. It could I mean, be even three times. Yeah, Navy? yeah. it's but it's possible. And wildfire is a good weapon to her if, for to use against Daenerys. If she does do it a third time, does it become a comedy? Isn't that like the rule of three? Or <laughs> <laughs> the wildfire chronicles. Clownfire. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I I really wonder. It would seem like they need to do something new, and it's not clear that they have. A wildfire stash anymore you know like they probably do they could probably come up they wouldn't be weird if they said that there was more wildfire for them to dig it may on. happen whether Cersei wants to or not right the dragons yeah. might just set it off on accident yeah absolutely so I I do think that she might try to just take go down with the ship you know and take everyone out with her uh, I don't know that she'll succeed this could be something that you know Jamie's not gonna be happy with what things are happening and he might be the one to take her down from within if things get to that point, you know, if Danny doesn't do it, might, maybe it'll happen from within. So this is something I just thought of. Let's say that Jamie does. Let's say that he is not on Cersei's side, takes her down, whatever that means. Okay. Maybe. What's we also... next for Jamie then? Is that the question? or? Well, that is a question, but I, the question I wanted to ask, which there, there's maybe a setup answer like Danny, but... Who would be queen or king at that point? Then it would Jamie take the Iron Throne? There, now, finally. God, it's taking so long. So convoluted, but I'm king now. <laughs> there would, would he be... want to be king? Would someone else step up? What would the who would be? There, well, that's, that's the same... Well, that'd just be the end of it. It's know? the same classic answer as always. Whenever there's no certain heir, it's war. That's the answer. There, yeah. there, you don't just... There isn't just somebody's going to come up and say, hey, I'm the king, and everybody's just going to agree with that. Well, well, that's, there, might, that's just... there may be another answer... Uh, there just may not be seven kingdoms in her. I think Danny will seize the oh, yeah. and unite them, but that I think happen, I yeah. think if Cersei d died, or even now when Cersei thinks she's queen, the reality is there just aren't seven kingdoms. The, the North is its own. The You're Iron totally Island's right. Its yeah. own, Dorne is its own. You're absolutely right because that's basically what what Great John said when he declared Rob king or suggested Rob as king. However you want to look at it, he was like, "Why not be rule ourselves again? We were we you know we surrendered." to the seven kingdoms and to that concept of the seven kingdoms because we were faced with dragons. Those dragons are gone. It's not even the same family ruling us anymore. Why should we follow them? Why shouldn't we go back to the way it was for thousands of years? We've only been a united seven kingdoms for 300 years out of the thousands of years that Westeros has been populated by humans. Why shouldn't we go back to that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. That is a distinct possibility. Without a strong leader to unite everybody, that's a natural thing for them to do. You think, in fact, uh, the the title of Game of Thrones is even there are thrones beyond the seven, you know, the King of the North, and so on. Yeah. You know? So you could still have this Game of Thrones without being seven united kingdoms. Now, yeah. all that said, I'm sure Dan's going to come unite everyone. 
And uh, seems like, like at least she'll try to, and we'll have some success. Maybe there'll be some conflict, but I agree. That's looks like the, the a safe bet, you know, for where things are heading. Uh, Especially because it, the the people kind of claiming to be their own king right now in the north. I don't think John. It's not like John's. My whole life, all I wanted to do is have the north declare independence and be king. On you know, he doesn't care about being king. He doesn't care about the north not being part of the realm. It's just kind of what's falling. And same thing with Rob. And I think same thing. Not I think we even kind of saw Yara say, "Sure, whatever. We'll be part of your seven kingdoms." And you know, it's, uh, I want I want to rule the Iron Islands, yeah. but I don't care if we're independent or part of your bigger kingdom. You know, we'll join up with you, sure. You know, so um, I feel like most of the rest of the kingdom, like minus Cersei, I feel like at this point, most of the rest of the kingdom will just be like, chill out, man. You don't have to attack the dragons. We'll just be part of the hey, whatever. You know, like <laughs> we're not trying to go to war here. We've been at war forever. We've had these shitty leaders in the past. We don't need you attacking with the dragons. Let's just all be a United Kingdom and attack the zombies. Right. Slash defend from the zombies. <laughs> Good call. Okay, let's move on. Uh, next question from Darren the Red, Knight of the Forums. If Brienne and the Hound meet each other again, which seems somewhat likely, how do you think they will react towards each other? I believe we've discussed this briefly, but it's a good good subject, so it's worth uh, going over again. And we may have talked about it in Book to Show only. I don't remember exactly. I don't think the Hound's going to be mad. I think he's going to be like... Fair fight. She beat me in a fair fight. That's that. And he, especially with his new lot in life, like his new lease on life, his his greater purpose sort of thing. You know, I, I, he didn't seem bitter. You know, when he said, "Who was it beat you?" You know, when when Septon Ray was our brother Ray was like, you know, how many men took you down? I was like it was a woman. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like bitter over it. He just seemed, you know, not that he necessarily would be there but i don't think it's gonna be a problem i don't think they're gonna like clash again he's not gonna be like i need it you know like she beat me i need to get her back uh, i think the hound and tormund are gonna fight over brienne <laughs> <laughs> she's not having either of them because she loves jamie <laughs> <laughs> so that actually brings us to another question that i like here oh oh real quick i will say okay sure uh in fact i feel like i've said this before so maybe we did talk about it one time uh the Hound may even have an, an upped level of respect for Brienne. Because remember, he was suspicious of her. Yeah. Right? She's like, hey, I'm here to get Arya. He's like, who the hell are you? Like, um, uh, I swore my allegiance to Caitlyn. He's like, oh, really? What's with that Lannister sword? You know what? Let's fight. You know? But I think it, when he sees her with Sansa and Jon, like, I think he, he might like, oh, you were serious about that. You were serious about that. Uh, <laughs> you were serious. <laughs> okay. Um, let us move on. Next question here is another one from Guillaume Esquia and with a lot of upvotes. Which plot line are you most disappointed to see vaporized in a green explosion? High Sparrow's real goals, Marjorie's strategy, Kevin's rejection of Cersei? Well, I, um, I personally, Marjorie, Mar I like that Marjorie was always the smartest one. She seemed to always figure things out. You know, she seemed to be ahead of the game. I like seeing intrigue play out in the show and i like it when it's good intrigue when people are smart and they figure things out and they anticipate each other's moves and it's like they're playing a chess game and and marjorie's a great player of the game of thrones so I'm, I'm sorry to see her gone because she's so skilled and also easy on the eyes so well <laughs> uh, except for that last part so is the sparrow <laughs> <laughs> agree like, he's agree. also and, a great player they're both fantastic and also, actors as and, well. and also because i one thing i liked about the the season in general was at least 
from my perspective, I felt like they were kind of ambiguous about the sparrow. Like what? what and and that, that's the thing I'm most upset. Or like what? Well, what was he gonna do? What was his plan? How was this gonna play out? Even specifically, I kind of want to know what his his last moment of thought was. You know, that scene it was it literally lasted less than a second as his face kind of clicked in his head right before the explosion went off. Because he wouldn't necessarily think, oh, she's going to blow us up with wildfire. I don't think he would know about that. But he, it would occur to him that something is up. And I wonder what he thought was up. I wonder what he thought was going on. Mm. If he had another minute, what he would have said out loud. If he would have hurried everyone out of there. If he would have released what, what he yeah. would have done. It seemed like he realized it at the last second yeah. there. But what was it he was real? I don't think that he, whatever he was realizing was probably like, Oh, Marjorie's right. Oh, she's up to something. Oh, he might be in danger. But I don't think his, if he's like, he wouldn't have thought wildfire. Up, he didn't. There's no way he thought we're about to be blown to smithereens. That's yeah. not like what was. I think he would think like soldiers are gonna come. We're all trapped in here, yeah. and soldiers could just like block the exits and like you know like because that already happened too. Like they already sent yeah, soldiers yeah. to step one. So like that would be the most obvious. Like whenever I was thinking about this problem from the high sparrows, Marjorie's point of view, that's what I thought they would where their head would go because yeah, yeah there's no they're not gonna be like oh wildfire that's it she's gonna blow the septum yeah no there's no one's gonna think that that's too too uh random okay um let's see next question here's one from the wall of the event page uh do you and related to this do you do people and from this is from amelia perillo or perillo do people in king's landing realize that it was cersei who blew up the sept or do they think it was an accident I think with her crowning herself, a lot of people are going to figure it out. They're going to like, whoa, she must have done that. But there's not going to be any proof. But it's going to be like one of those things where everyone knows who did it, but you can't prove it. They'll be suspicious, I guess. Yeah. But like, for example, how many people know, because it was a pretty public thing, right? How many people know that Cersei slash Joffrey had the bastard babies killed? Yeah. What did they do about it? What difference does it make? You yeah. Know, like, maybe this is more extreme. It's not terrible, even illegal but... for the king to do that. It's just dirty and, and wrong, yeah. but it's not like against the law. <laughs> but uh, I think very few people actually know or could know this. And a lot of people might suspect it. it might be rumors or talk of in the street, but I don't think we could prove it. Anyone who, and, and most of, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of supposing most of the people who would be against Cersei got killed. You know, most oh, yeah. of her opponents mm -hmm. were killed. Most of her allies are still there. Or afraid and, of uh, being killed now. They're like, holy crap, right. don't go against her. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, I think, you know, just thinking about how rumors work, a lot of people are going to think that she killed Tommen. Because they don't know, like the average citizen, like we know that she loved her kids as viewers. And, you know, people close to Cersei knows that. But like the average peasant might feel like she they don't know that for herself right yeah. they just will look well they'll look at the result and think the most likely thing is well tom and well they they won't know that tom and jumped out a window they'll just know he's dead yeah. and they may even think like oh cersei had her monster kill her own son because he was even in the room like some servants might even whisper like oh gregor was in the room like right around the time that happened they might yeah. think that he pushed him out the window like yeah, the rumors could be a lot worse than the reality, and the reality is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Cersei's got some... I don't think she can do damage control on that. She's just got to rule by fear for as long as she can, and I don't think it will be that long. Okay, so let's move on. Let's see. 
Here's a real fun question from Derek Credle. Derek Credle's asked us a lot of good questions over the years. Thanks, Derek. Here's one. Are we going to see the opening for season seven with a lion sigil over King's Landing? And why didn't we get one for Old Town? Well, the second part's a little easier. I think we didn't get one for Old Town because they didn't want to spoil it. They didn't want to show that we were about to see it, even though we kind of saw it coming. But really, they could have done that. But the thing is, about that opening... They have a limited amount of space. They can't like extend or shorten the opening. It has to fit the length of the song. So when they add new locations in, they can only add a certain number of them. So I think maybe it was just, they just didn't have room for it. And, and we're probably not going to, it's not going to be a location we're going to see a lot of. I think we're going to be gone from Old Town pretty quickly. So maybe we'll see at the beginning of next season. I like the idea of a lot of line sigil over, over King's Landing. That's a cool idea. I kind of don't expect that, but I think it would be awesome if we did see that. Technically we should, man. I've done it for the other houses. And well, I don't know. Did we see a, a stag thing over it before? I don't know that we did. I guess I can't actively remember that. I, yeah. I, but, but I definitely remember it was a, a Bolton over the over yeah, Winterfell and when they, when they took now, Winterfell yeah. and back to a Stark. So that was I'm nice. not sure if it was <laughs> been a Stark all along, though, when I think about it. I'm it was sure. for a while. It's been Bolton like all season. Yeah. I'm not sure if it started last season. I forget when it started. I think it yeah. may have even started last season. But, man, <laughs> look how cool Game of Thrones is. There's this much detail in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> in the intro sequence, we're talking about all the level of detail there. That is just uh, it's a nerd's dream, and I'm a nerd. So that's a win. All right, so uh, can I bring a couple things up? Are they Absolutely. You have some good questions. You should pose them as well. We'll take a little break from the Q&A questions and, and, and take, take some time for some Sean questions and points. We have more thoughts, more so than questions, I think. But one is, uh, remember the Cersei, prophecy, the prophecy yeah. from Cersei, that a, a younger, more beautiful queen was going to come along to take her place. She thought it was Marjorie. Right, we thought it was Marjorie, I guess, but maybe I, it's Danny. I thought it was Danny. I mean, that's Danny? It's, yeah. the same prophecy exists in the books, and you kind of see, <laughs> this isn't a book spoiler, because it's the same, you know, the prophecy's different in the books, but it's, it's similar enough. And you know that she thinks it's Marjorie for the same reasons, basically. And then, but you know that Daenerys is really the one with all the power who's coming with her dragons. And, yeah. and, and you know that she's younger and... You know, of course, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but Daenerys is multiple times called the most beautiful woman in the world. So yeah. it's like, okay, well. <laughs> Cersei is, by the way, more queen in a different sense now yeah. than yeah, she yeah. was before. That's true. So, uh, just an interesting thought that occurred to me. Um, let's see. Another thought uh, is how different... Th it's, it's neat to think how differently things would have gone if XYZ had happened differently. Yeah. And... Uh, Many times I've talked about how certain things have a sort of inevitability that even if one or two specific things hadn't happened, that the big picture was still going to end up happening anyway. If Columbus didn't discover America, some other European power is going to discover America. And once they did, the Europeans were almost certainly going to come colonize and slavery was going to come and probably a revolt was going to come. All this stuff is probably going to happen, right? If, if Joffrey and Sansa hadn't walked on to Arya and the Butcher Boy with the sword fight. It's not like they're still... You know, Joffrey's still a little shit. Cersei's still yeah. power. There was still... <laughs> yeah. Ned was still pretty doomed when he headed to King's Landing. Things are still going to go probably pretty similar to the way they went, even if one certain moment didn't happen the way it did. And so it makes me wonder, what other things were still going to move forward like they had if Stannis had just waited? <laughs> if Stannis had just stayed back and been yeah. patient, held out at the wall or whatever, right? Yep. Eventually, was John still gonna be killed slash brought back slash rallied the North to take the 
Winterfell back? And if so, does Stannis need to bother now? He, <laughs> he can was, just go to King's Landing. If he, he waits, was so to to adamant King's, about like, now is the time. Now is the time. No, dude. And if we, what if he gets to King's Landing and like Cersei's are all her allies are gone? The Martells, everyone's turned against her. Like maybe he ends up having to fight Danny, but doesn't he end up having to do that anyway? Like. How different is it if Stannis is on the Iron Throne? He would look he, like a viable alternative now, is more yeah. than he ever had. Uh, I wonder if Danny showed up and Stannis was there. Yeah, how things would play out. It's that, funny how he thought he had to burn his daughter to win, but if he had burned his daughter and survived, that would have like eliminated him from contention in a lot of people's minds. When it, yeah. when in fact the road would have been nice and open for him. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I, that's what I want to see is alternate universe <laughs> Game of Thrones. I want to see how I want someone to remake the whole thing with Stannis having been patient and see how it all plays out. <laughs> uh, see, I want to know uh, some things. This also might be something that's come up some other questions, but there's a few characters that I kind of want to get back to that I want to know. Like, uh, I, I want more from them. Some I feel like maybe I should just forget about Gendry, but some I feel like they're they're like leading us into maybe they're done with her already, but was it Kinvara? Like Kinvara, yeah. I felt like that was a new character being introduced. I wonder. Well, I didn't see her on the ships. I thought it'd be neat if she came along. I wonder if we'll still keep up with Marine. If there'll be conflict a, with Kinvara and Dario yeah, of some sort. It's kind of a uh, loose thread right now. I, I'm guessing that they don't have time to do much with Marine. I think they're done with Marine entirely. Yeah. That's my guess. I don't think I've seen. Some, I'm not going to click on the questions, but a couple people have asked us about Dario or Marine. Because well, there's someone else still done. there too. Jorah, where's Jorah? Well, Jorah isn't necessarily a marine. You know? He's just out there. Right. He's just looking right. for a cure. Well, he's he's almost certainly not in marine. Yeah. He's out there looking for a cure. And if the cure was in marine, well, that would be pretty straightforward and simple. So Jorah. I really don't think that's the case. Gendry has the cure. Find Gendry. <laughs> Jorah. So I think that I, that's my guess. I, I, I could be easily be wrong, but I think that marine is done. Uh, all that stuff in the way, in the Far East is done. We're not seeing any more of it. Not even a hint. We may hear some talk about it. We may get some chatter, but that's it. We're not getting to see it. But that's just my guess. I could be wrong. What about Bravos? No more Bravos? No more House of Black and White? Nope. No, Iron Bank? Iron Bank is a dangling plot thread, but I, I agree. But it seems like, what can they do? What, what, at what point does it matter now? If Cersei's about to lose the throne because of a million reasons, the Iron Bank is just yet another reason why she sh yeah. can't hold on to power because they, they owe the Iron Bank a lot of money. Uh, of all the things that can topple her, that's just one of them. But I think they'll give that sort of thing to more of a, a main character. It won't be like that of all things. So they have a lot of options for how Cersei will go down. And I don't think they'll choose something that's kind of out there in the fringe like that. Even though it would be sensible. It would make sense. I just don't think they're going to do that. I they just don't have time. Uh... 15 episodes is pretty much all we're going to have left. Or maybe only 13. So, yeah, like, they just... How can they have room for, for more Dario? You know, I, I, that's kind of why I, I have this attitude. It's not that I don't think that it it's, would be interesting. I just don't think they have time for it. And they're yeah. just trying to, they're really trying to distill things down. Like I've, I've said a few times, we're back to Targaryen, Stark, Lannister. State of kind of the state of affairs we had at the beginning of the series, except that there's minus Baratheons. That was the other. Well, series. the Baratheons weren't even that big of a player though. Like they became a player. Like Robert was just like you could see that Robert was just a, a buffoon that was trying to hold on to like that didn't yeah. know what was going on around him, and you felt some sympathy for him because he's Ned's friend. But as soon as he was, as soon as he died, Stannis became Stannis and Renly became contenders, and that's when the Baratheons became important. But the story really wasn't about them. You know, like they were just an important kind of player, but the focus was on Ned and Sansa and John and Tyrion and Cersei and and yeah. Jaime and Daenerys and like the yeah. you the Baratheons were a part of it, but you didn't get scenes with Robert, you know, 
by talking to people except like Cersei. Like it wasn't really focused on on those characters very much. I see what you're saying. Like if you're if you were to name the I'm next thinking about house, like it would be Baratheon yeah. for sure. And I mean, in the show, the the sigils they show us again. Those are the four. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he was king in the beginning. He yeah. was in the first episode coming to get Ned. He did set stuff into motion. And I don't mind including when them he in died. That, yeah. Boom boom. Here two more come up and they get we're central in season two. Like I, I do think if you're gonna put them in order. They're fourth, yeah. but uh, I do think that it's fair to say. But but they're gone now. They're now. out of it. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's Gendry who has Baratheon blood, but like yeah, yeah is he he's really? He's also pretty much gone. From he him. might just be a dangling threat yeah. too. Probably is at this point. <laughs> okay, um, you have some other things you wanted to say, but I'm gonna let's let's deal with another question while you look up your All other right. things yeah. here. Here's two related questions, both from Farzin Garabat and from Catherine Cronin. Both questions are about Howland Reed. Uh, given the reveal about John's parentage, well, the partial reveal, that is, and Howland Reed being present at the Tower of Joy, do you think we will finally see him in the show in the present day? And the other version of the question is, when do you predict we will see Howland Reed, and will he be the one to tell John about his birth? I don't think so. I do think we might see him, and it's cool that and important that he knows about John. But I think that they didn't want to give the reveal to a character that we don't know very well. I think they wanted Bran to give that away. And Bran is the one who's actually in proximity to John, being really close to the wall. And we have no idea where Helen Reed is. I mean, we he could be just back home at his castle. But he's been chilling there this whole time. Maybe now that John is king in the north, he has reason to stir himself. I'm like, oh, well, I got... Do I have news for you? Maybe now that Walter Frey's dead, he'll rise up and take the <laughs> twins and be the new lord of... new warden of uh, the River Run, Riverlands. But I kind of... To suspect that he's just kind of be stay on the fringes and, and hardly be yeah. mentioned at all. He was one of the other things I wanted to bring up, by the way, his character, his knowledge, yeah. his role. Yeah, Mira uh, could bring. I mean, that's Mira's father, you know. Right. And There's a connection. So. Brand, Brand's heading south. You know, people from the Riverlands are heading north. The paths could cross. The Brotherhood without banners might even include him, or yeah, because, come to include him. Uh, I like the idea of it all. Part of me feels like it should happen, or I want to predict that. But another part of me, like you said, there's only so many episodes, and yeah. I don't know how much I can do. Although I will say, this is another thing I said before, in one season, they created and killed an outstanding, memorable, popular character with Oberon. So if they could do that, I, I, they could do it again. I think yeah, you're right. They could do it again. You're you know? right. You're absolutely right. They could do it again. They could make somebody important like that, someone who who really grabs our grabs our attention. And um, even though in a short period of time like that. And also, with time constraints, they pretty much in one season brought in a new character without giving him too much feature, like yeah. the Blackfish. Helen Reed could be the equivalent of the Blackfish. Yeah, know? that's a good point. Uh, and he could play a role in uniting other characters and being a bridge between storylines and maybe even revealing this information. Maybe, maybe to the chagrin of Littlefinger, maybe Littlefinger... That could whether or not that would help or hurt his cause would be interesting to see. Hmm. Here's a quick question that we've kind of already addressed, but it's it's new information that I didn't know about um, from Dornish Dan. Marjorie mentions a cousin to Sansa before the Purple Wedding. Do you think this unknown cousin could be the cast to represent a reborn House Tyrell? Uh, no, but that's really good to know. I didn't know that a cousin had been mentioned on TV. We just assumed there would be because it would be kind of weird for there to be no other Tyrells out there. So. I like that idea, but I doubt they'll worry too much about showing us the fate of House Tyrell uh, because of this whole time constraint thing. They could mention it to throw a line, the new head of House Tyrell is this cousin. But yeah, I don't think it's important enough for them to spend a lot of time on. But it's good to know that they didn't completely ignore that, that angle. Okay. 
Um, here's a quick one from Strawman. Can anyone translate the indignant guttural growl Mace made in response to Lancel carving his son's forehead? I don't, I don't recognize it as any language known to man. Actually, yes, I watched the episode multiple times every time, and at least one of those times we watched with subtitles. And what he said was, oh, I can't take this, or I can't stand this, something along those lines. He just couldn't take it. He couldn't watch it happen, and so he, you know, grumbled like that. Yeah, there are just so many great questions you guys hear. I feel so bad that we won't be able to get to them all. That's just how it is, though. Um, a lot of these questions would be work well as book-to-show questions, so you can feel free to resubmit them. We have a Google event page up for that as well. And if you're watching this after the fact, we'll put the link up for the book-to-show Q&A in the description of this episode. So keep an eye out for that. Question from AU Packmule. Will we see episodes 6.9 and 6.10 in IMAX due to the epic nature of these two episodes? The only reason I doubt it, Will, is because of the change in HBO leadership. Well, the reason this is even a question is because these, a, lot of these, a lot of times these episodes are shown in theaters uh, after the fact. We attended the final two episodes of season four at an IMAX theater. It was in a limited release around the country. It happened in January. January is the slowest month for the motion picture industry. Motion picture industry, that's an old way to refer, <laughs> reference it, the cinema industry. Um, and so that would be a time when it might happen. If you're in a major media market, we're in Atlanta, so we always stand a decent chance of this sort of thing happening. But I would look in your area to see if any of these things are happening. It won't be soon, but maybe you know later in the year. Because it's really fun to see these things on the big screen, and you, you find yourself in a room full of people who are rabid fans, and that's just a great environment. People who cheer at the right moments, who, who you know, it's just, just fun. So I do recommend that. I do recommend looking for it. Now, one sad thing, someone asked this question, I can't find it, but I'm going to address it anyway. <coughs> Talking about the directors for next season, Miguel Sapochnik did such an amazing job getting a 10 of 10 episode twice in a row, which is unheard of in TV history. So people are like, well, what episodes is he going to direct next year? The answer is none of them. Mm. The problem with being that good is everyone wants you to direct your movie or TV show, and he's not available. It's not that the, I don't. It's not that they didn't try. It's not that they didn't want him because obviously they would want to go back to that well. The ten of ten, the perfect score mm. well is makes sense to keep running that. But yeah, he wasn't available, so yeah. We're not going to have him. So that's too bad. It's a bit of a bummer, but that doesn't Making mean... Making Fast and Furious 9? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yes. For 9 and 10. Yeah. <laughs> but he's going to somehow make it seem like Godfather 3 or 4. Yeah. yeah it'll still be sucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It'll still be... Anyway, so did you have some other things you want to go? Should we go on to the next I, question? I've got here? a couple things. All right. Let's, let's do a Sean if question. if there will be a power vacuum, a religion vacuum... With the sparrow and the sparrows and the set being destroyed, the the red priests, the the R'hllor, is that the name of that religion? The, yeah, the R'hllorists or the Lord worship of the Lord of Light. Yeah, they don't rise really... in prominence. So that that role in the show and the and the in King's Landing and Westeros, uh, I feel like again they've kind of set it up a little bit. Um, kind of hoping for it. I'm hoping that we see. Once again, I feel like one thing that the show does, and I, I guess the books, like uh, showing us the different parts of this world. You know, we see different locations, we see different houses, maybe we'll see different religions. Yeah. We haven't we've seen at least some hintings of the old gods with the trees and the children, and we've seen a lot of the sparrows and the seven, and we've seen at least some hintings of 
R'hllor, and I, I feel like the Sparrows have all but been wiped out, like two different groups wiped out, right? We saw like uh, Sam and his group earlier, and and we've seen the rise, you know, of uh, in in the West. We see, you know, Tyrion calling on this religion. Yeah. We see Melisandre is still being featured, and we see maybe uh, through the Brotherhood Without Banners, maybe it'll be spread there too. So I wonder if or how much that'll play a role in things. That's a good question. Yeah, there's a lot of... It's, it's, sometimes it's fun to point to things that we don't... We have no idea, but it's, it's, it's like fun to think about, even though the options are really kind of too many to guess, you know, and it's really just a matter of what they're going to write, you know, how they decide to take the show, what they're what their end game is and how this, how any plot line from now on is going to have to merge with their end game because they're getting kind of close to it. They're maybe moving a little farther away from it because Melisandre's going south, but Bran is also going south. And yeah. a lot of times we talk about how Melisandre's powers seem real. Like maybe some of them are coincidence or, or tricks, but it, some of them are real and some characters have seen the real power. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean... Her god is real or correct or most powerful or, or exclusive, but real power for sure. What will Melisandre think of Brant if they ever encounter each other? He seems to have real power too. He also has visions. Would she accept them? Would she want to fight against them, embrace them? Maybe she, I wonder if she would think that, oh, you... You're part of my religion too. You you have some different name for it, but really, you know. And if Bran would think, "Oh, you're part of my religion too," you may have something. You know, I wonder if they are the same. Yep. Even if yep. they will interpret them as being the same, if they will conflict with each other, get along with each other. Uh, once again, I don't know much how much time they'll have to deal with that, especially since Melisandre seems to be moving away from Bran. But I I want to see that play out. I think it's an interesting element of the show. I want to know more about. Yeah. Okay, um, here is a, another good question. A simple question from Heather Hare. This is a kind of in-universe how things work question. I was wondering what happens when a bastard gets married and has a child. What surname would the child have? Surely the child, being legitimate, wouldn't be saddled with snow or stone or the like. Actually, they are saddled with that name, even though they're not bastards. But in Westeros, you're pretty much allowed to call yourself what you want. And it's very common for the child of a bastard family to come up with a new name and give themselves a new a family name that's either similar to the bastard name. A good example comes from the books. A non-spoiler example is a character. The, the bastard name for the Crownlands is Waters. It's the equivalent of snow or stone or sand or whatever. And there's a character that we meet whose family name is Longwaters. They just keep the waters but add some uh, add like a... a, a prefix to it to differentiate it from a bastard name but you know the implication is kind of there so yeah you still inherit the na last name of your parents even if they have a bastard name but this is but typically that name isn't isn't kept in the books also there is a a rivers who isn't a bastard because they're the son of one of walder frey's bastards who is a rivers martin rivers and martin rivers kids are rivers even though they're not bastards so it can be confusing. Westerosi families and naming conventions have their own set of rules. They're kind of arbitrary sometimes. But the bottom line is that none of these rules are really hard and fast. Okay. Next up. Here's a simpler question. Of all the new characters introduced this season, Euron, <coughs> Kinvara, the Tarleys, Northern Lords, etc., which is your favorite and least favorite? Hmm. Favorite's easy. Yeah? Lady Mormont. It's so easy. She's definitely my favorite. <laughs> that is a tough contender to beat. Yeah, I think that's probably 
yeah, I might have to agree with you there. That's she is really, really, really awesome. Some of the other ones just aren't in there enough to know. I mean, Euron, we've barely scratched the surface of him. I feel like he's going to be important next season, but it's hard to like even see. We don't even know what he's about yet, really. Kinvara was on screen, so was cool, but she's she just had the one scene. You know, the Tarleys were awesome, but they only had one scene too. Yeah, even a character like uh, Randall Tarley, who I think you're supposed to not like, I hesitate to call him my least favorite because I still think he'll be an interesting fold in the show. Yeah, you know? and he was just so uh, well done. Yeah. I can't think of a, a least favorite. I don't want to think of a least favorite. <laughs> yeah, least favorite? I am i don't know that I have a least favorite either. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think Liana Mormont's a perfect guess for that perfect answer for the other one. By the way, it's neat that Liana Mormont is, is, is the, was the one to suggest... Him being king in the north that everyone got behind when his mother is Liana, you know, it kind of ties yeah. into that reveal yeah. that that's like ties to his right to be the king, you know, or rather just king in the north. It's kind of a neat little subversion. Kinvara, was that the name of the red priestess? Yeah. What was the name of the woman that Varus caught that, that was like the informant or whatever? Oh. Or she was a named character. I forget right? what her name was. I'm just yeah. scared. I just occurred to me we might be mixing those names up. No, that's not her name. Okay. Uh, Kinvara right. was definitely the Red Priestess. Um, yeah, I don't remember what her name was. I remember her name, her son's name was Dom, but I forget what her name was. But yeah, she's, I think she's totally out of the picture. Probably so, yeah. Um, Especially if we assume we're not going back to Marine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And she may, and she's probably not even Marine anymore. She was, remember, Varus paid her to leave entirely. Yeah, um, Presumably that happened. Uh, okay, so let's see here. <clears throat> Another question. Here's one that I think is a little controversial, but I think there's a simple answer for. Sansa lured Jon to fight for Winterfell with the thought of saving Rickon, but the night before the battle she said there was no way he would come out alive. She knew Ramsay well and knew they couldn't save him, yet lied to Jon to get him there. I don't take that view. I don't think she lied. I, I think that what happened, if you think about how it happened, was they got the letter and immediately they were like, oh my God, Ramsay has Rickon. In that moment, she reacted like, we got to save him. And it was just, I don't, so I don't think she was being dishonest. I think she realized that she's like, actually, we can't save him. There's no hope. You yeah. know, I think, she, I think that dawned on her. I don't think she just immediately realized that and then immediately lied about it. I, I, it's possible. I'm not saying I know what she's thinking. So I can't say that for sure. But I take it that she just, it just didn't occur to her right away. Because that was like in the moment you just reacted like, oh my God, my brother yeah. trapped by Ramsey. That's awful. I was trapped by him. I, you know, we got to save him. And then, wait a minute, we can't save him. <laughs> Another thing to keep in mind is I think a lot of times the moment that conversation, a lot of times the way a show goes is they just show us, uh, the, the point of movement. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I can imagine in that moment when they get that letter and they have that discussion that John's not convinced. He's like, nope, not doing it. But then a day goes by, a week goes by, and the conversation keeps going up, and John can't sleep at night. He's like, okay, fine, we got to go save Rickon. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think he was going to end up going anyway. I don't think that Sansa convinced him. I think he was going to end up going anyway. I agree. And we see in this scene that they decide in this moment to go, but I think it was inevitable to to happen anyway. Does that make yes. sense? That does make sense. Okay. Plus, there were other motivations to go, too. Remember that Ramsey was threatening to come attack the wall. That's right? true. That Even is without true. Rickon being a, a, a factor there. Very John still had to deal with this. Yeah, it was it was a it was a not just a threat to Rickon, it was a threat to the Night's Watch, it was a threat to John in general, threat to Sansa. 
Yeah, I agree that that was not the tipping point for John. It wasn't, oh, well, I'm not going to do it, but it's only Rickon. Rickon's the reason I'm in this. No, yeah, you're right. There's so many compelling reasons for John to <coughs> get out of his I was just dead funk, you know, to come back to the world and, and be a leader again. Um, but not to helped. say that Sansa hasn't been dishonest or couldn't have done things better. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think in that moment she was like, Using Rickon to lure John into a fight. I think it's exactly what you said. That she had this reaction like, oh, God, we got to go save him. Yeah. And then later on, I was like, oh, we can't save him, can we? Like, I need to tell John. In fact, she tried to tell. She wasn't, she wasn't keeping it secret. She tried to warn him, you know. Okay, simple question from Strawman. What do you think about Ungregor's unmasking? Underwhelming? Just creepy enough? By the way, this actually reminds me of another question that we had. One, th uh, the question earlier in the episode, well, I believe it was from Dornish Dan that said, what m asked us what movies would we like to see future uh, Game of Thrones episodes um, and kind of get the feel for. And Gregor reminds me of horror movies. And that scene was very horror movie-ish. It was really well done. I'm not a big fan of horror, but I do like horror elements sometimes. I like the fear of the unknown. I don't like gruesome stuff. That's just boring to me. Um, but Gregor is spooky. And that device is useful i think they could maybe use a little the horror film feel i don't want that to be like all game of thrones but that in a in, in its in, in the right places it's great i did think it was creepy i wasn't expecting it either i was kind of just assuming they would keep to make it simple they would keep his helmet on he looks really creepy with the helmet on why bother taking it off you know it just kind of keeps him mass and hidden and the, the the unknown what he looks like is creepy enough so I was surprised, and it was dark and kind of hard to see, but, you know, I watched a few times, and yeah, he looks pretty pretty damn creepy. Pretty like a Even zombie. with a quote-unquote reveal, it was still somewhat mysterious. Yeah. It was a bad angle and bad light, but still kind of scary, if you will. Yeah, and it did, it accomplished its goal there. He was like, whoa, and then he walks up, and you know, it's, it's un also, the talk, speaking of fear of the unknown, we don't even know what he did with her. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are suggesting things like torturing her, raping her, both, you know, well, raping her would be torturing her. So that's really just simple as that. But it's not even clear if he can do that. Can he, can he, can a, is he capable of doing that? I mean, he's obviously capable of the regular torture, but I mean, we don't really need to think about that too much. It's pretty gruesome, but that's another thing. That's that horror element of not knowing what he's doing in a sense makes it worse. Yeah. You know, like as far as like thinking about it, like, whoa. Leaves you more unsettled at yes. the end of the scene, yeah. Yeah, so I like that. That I li I like the and I almost, that element that they should have more of in Game of Thrones is 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 not quite letting us know, leaving it empty. They uh, really punctuated that they weren't going to either. She like starts to like close closes the, door. the door, closes the slot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not going to find you out. Just either. hear the screaming. You don't exactly know what's. I mean, she's got plenty to scream about, but you're not exactly sure what is mostly driving the screams. Yeah, it's that kind of well, like it's it's both gruesome and horrific, but also interestingly subtle. And I like the, the subtle parts of that. So uh, we probably have time for a couple more questions, uh, but I definitely want to make a couple more quick points. Uh, Go for it. Do uh, it. I was kind of like running down characters. I keep thinking of more of them that, that we haven't seen in a while or maybe could we've seen one time or maybe they're planning more stuff. People who we want to see come back or make a difference again. There's one character that I think everyone might be excited to see, Nymeria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is in the Riverlands right now, and that's where we last saw Nymeria. It's really yeah. unclear whether that will be a loose plot thread or not. Yeah. Will they have the budget for it if they're cutting episodes and they don't have to do the giant anymore, you know? But we get maybe... And, and this leads me to the other thought. Nymeria and Ghost 
reunited too? Could we get all the Starks together? Happy Could we dogs. Get Arya and Sansa and John uh, and Bran, yeah, all there in Winterfell. That would be that's cool. a potential, right? That's like we're moving yeah. to that, right? That would be something, I think. That is really cool. And here's the thing. Here's another or something else I learned that we could have mentioned before, but I, it slipped through the cracks. The uh, uh, We've all probably heard by now that one of the reasons Ghost wasn't in, it in the Battle of the Bastards was because they just decided they they originally wrote Ghost in the battle a lot, took him out after they realized they could either have 1-1 one, one or Ghost. They couldn't have both. And they went with 1-1. One, one. But there was an even bigger, harder-to-guess-at issue with Ghost. It's a real animal. It's not a CGI. Like, they, they have use CGI to enhance it, but it's a real animal. And it's an endangered animal. And that animal doesn't live in the location where that country, where that scene was filmed. <laughs> they would have had to ship this endangered species from one country to another. That's a really difficult problem, even for a show with this kind of budget. And they're just like, yeah, hopefully people understand. And <laughs> I do. I would love to see Ghost more. But this is one of the things I just never complain about because I totally understand. It's just, it's a real world issue. They just can't afford it. And, you know, they, they afforded other things. And I'm not one of those guys that say, oh, if they had spent money on this, they could have spent it on this. I don't, they have their reasons for doing what they do. It's not just to please us. It's to have a hit show. And no one can say they haven't succeeded in that yeah, regard. Yeah. They've pleased <laughs> us and have a hit show. Like There are things to complain about, but there's a lot of stuff they're doing right, clearly. So I give them a total pass whenever it's like, why didn't they include this X where X equals expensive budget item? <laughs> <laughs> Very expensive, difficult to make budget item. It's not like they were lazy in making Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> and even you can imagine even some things, even if they're willing to spend an exorbitant amount of money, they just have like... A deadline. They have to wait three weeks for the paperwork to be signed, but this everyone's scheduled to be on set at this day, and just uh, can't coordinate it. You yeah. Know, so. so okay, what are some other? Do you have some other things you didn't get to cover that you wanted uh, to bring up? It was uh, one of the questions I noticed. Someone asked uh, uh, best arc or favorite arc. Sure. Of the season. Yeah, that's a good character. Call. Okay, yeah. What was uh, your best or, performance? Because some best of stuff. Okay, Maybe let's do some best done, of. Put a, done more superlatives, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure the best arc. I, I thought about it a lot, and I thought there's a lot of really good ones. Uh, um, I I think Arya is my least favorite arc. I, I'm I, I especially disappointed with how it finished up in the House of Black and White. We didn't learn anything about the House of Black and White. I feel like it was unrealistic. Some of the action and the wounds she took, da-da-da. Um still like her character and want her to get back in the mix. I'm hoping that picks up more. Um, but Cersei's arc was dark, but interesting. I One thing I liked about it, like I say a lot of times, I like it was an ambiguous and kind of wonder where it's going. Uh, I, I was supposing there. at the beginning of the season that maybe she was like, had resigned in life and was it going to be less aggressively ruthless and violent because she just, this prophecy's coming true and that's you to stop it. Doesn't quite seem to be the case at the end. She seems to be darker than ever. Uh, mm -hmm. Even in even uh, in her clothing. I think that Jamie's arc is interesting. He still is sort of like, uh, I don't know how to say this, this sort of uncertain character, trying to be loyal to Cersei, but also trying to have honor. You see him being tugged between Brienne and, and the Cersei. the Mad King stuff is just uh, playing out again for him. It's, yeah. it's crazy, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, Danny's arc is kind of like epic and exciting, uh, but I wouldn't pick that one because it's, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's uh, it's the same thing that's been going on all along. It's starting to come to fruition. It, it's I don't, I'm not sure how much. I guess maybe they showed her a little bit of growth. You know, abandoning Dario. I don't. I don't. I don't mean to dislike her arc, but I just won't pick it as a favorite. I I think Cersei's a contender. Jaime's a contender. 
Sansa's a contender. I think Sansa's arc is interesting to see her yeah. kind of like, for once, not be under someone's thumb, for and for once to to be able to make a difference and make her own decisions and uh, and be her own woman. You know, I think, uh, and she's like I've said, been one of my favorite characters from the beginning. So. Yeah. Well, I think you covered that pretty well. So I'll just say mine, and I won't need to expand expound on them. I'll just say that my I agree. I think Cersei's plotline, Cersei Jamie, the the whole King's Landing stuff was. Possibly my favorite of the season as well. And my least favorite would be the Arya plotline. But we, we kind of covered that at the time, how all the flaws there. I don't, we don't really need to rehash that. But, yeah, that would be my least favorite. But even with least favorite, it's look it's, it's, it's looking up because she's out of Bravos, And, you know, as much as they – many complaints as I have about how they handled Bravos, she's not there anymore. So it's kind of a restart. So we'll get to – I'm optimistic for Arya's future. Cersei's definitely the best actress, I think. Uh, okay. And one other thing I'll say too, this season, I've really liked Tyrion. He's, he's really, I've, I've realized how much of the stuff in this season I liked was Tyrion's stuff. It's, it's, it's a bit and, of a controversial thing to say because a lot of people thought Tyrion was kind of a waste this season. I'm kind of with you. Really? I like Tyrion. Yeah. yeah but the, generally the, from like reading our, you know, watching our comments and just general reading around the fandom, a lot of people call Tyrion, a lot of Tyrion, they were, it was like, they were just finding, they were just jamming scenes in there to have Tyrion, give Tyrion something to do. Like, they just, a lot of people didn't... Well, I like Tyrion doing stuff. I think he's the best <laughs> dialogue and one of the, you know, as a character, he's, you know, witty, he's educated, intelligent, he's got good perspective. He's gone through maybe his bits of cynicism or, uh, you know... Yeah, he's had a really full, you know, arc but, uh, and, and not just this season, and but... Yeah, through the show. Yeah. And, and earlier on, I, like, it's not like I don't like him, but I wouldn't pick him as a favorite because I feel like... It's just because he's featured so much, you know? It's yeah. just because he gets the best lines. Well, of course, everyone likes Tyrion, but who do I like that's not being featured so much? But Tyrion's not being featured as much. He still gets featured a lot, but he's in the mix of a lot of other characters, a lot of other storylines compared to, like, the first season. Yeah. Even the second season, he's like Hand of the King. But his role is diminished a little bit on the show, uh, even though maybe his role in the world is strengthened this season especially. Um but I, I really liked his character and his dialogue, the, what, uh, what he brings to the, the show uh, as a character and a performer and actor, too. Right on. Yeah, I agree. Those two are... I was immediately a fan of Jamie in the show right away, Nikolai Costa-Waldo, because he really looked the part, like, really close to what Jamie is... I, I pictured of Jamie as someone who's read the books many times. It's kind of hard to separate the image you have in your head for what these characters look like on screen. And Jamie just really looked the part. And Cersei, I was not a big fan of at first, but she really won me over by season two, and she's become one of one of my favorites. Period over the years because she's just so good. Her acting is, you know, she is. There are some significant differences from book to show and Cersei. They're not massively different, but there are some pretty substantial differences in personality, not and in obviously plot arcs. I won't comment on how different or, or similar those are because that would be spoilery. But I, yeah, she really won me over with her acting, and she's become, just, just her facial acting is just so good. Same with Nikolai Coster-Waldo, and those two together are great, too. I've been wondering sometimes how the directing goes. I want to be there and see, like, not just, like, her facial expressions, but sometimes she'll almost whisper a line, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, I just imagine she really brings a script to life, you know? I can just imagine the directors and the writers like, yeah, oh, she's so good. She's really doing it for me. Yeah. Wow, we got to kill her this season, probably. <laughs> Damn it. Season seven. You think, okay, that's a good question. Will Cersei survive season seven? 
I think no. So I, I think uh, almost definitely no. So it's really more of a question of how far into the season will she survive? Like, yeah. okay, so I'll put the, I'll just put it halfway through the season. Over under episode. Well, halfway through the season is episode four. Let's say there's eight. Let's say there's eight say episodes. Over. I think over. she's gonna last through the season. You're gonna, you're gonna think she's gonna last the whole season. I, I think it might be wishful thinking because okay. I just like her. Interesting. Maybe so she doesn't though. die till the last season. That'd be interesting. It'd be really. She might get run out of there. She might get. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I don't know, but I think she lives through the season. Cool. Hope at least. Okay, I think she's gonna die. I think it's gonna be a pretty big moment when she dies because she's been such an important character for so long, and they didn't even kill. They didn't. They haven't killed a character of her importance in a while. Like, there was nobody of her it's importance died this season. Nobody of her importance died last season, I don't think, either. In the first episode, this is what's going to happen. Maybe even the first scene. We're going to have Bronn and Jamie standing there with Cersei in the mountain. <laughs> and Bronn's going to stab the mountain in the back, and Jamie's going to stab Cersei in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> then they'll high-five and, and, <laughs> and just like sing, sing a Cooper and Darnell song. <laughs> one of their top, one of their, uh, top ten hits there. Okay, I'm going to do our acknowledgments and Patreon credits, but after the credits, we're going to do one or two more questions, some fun wrap-up type questions. In particular, one of them is going to be Sean and Aziz's recommendations outside of Game of Thrones, other podcasts, other videos, other TV shows. We're going to talk about some of those things, stuff to do in the off-season, especially if you're not a book reader, because if you are a book reader, well, you've got all kinds of history of Westeros you can consume, especially if you're new to the channel and haven't looked at our back catalog. Good time to point out that our book Centric episodes are quite a bit different than our show reviews. The length is similar, but they're not open discussions, although we do occasionally digress and leave space for open discussions. They're entirely scripted. We do we pack a lot of punch in those episodes. We do a lot of research, put a lot of effort into them, and a lot of times there's six to eight weeks of research and writing that goes into each one. So they're very, very... Uh, well, they're a lot more produced than these videos, which we just got to get out quickly because we got to keep up with the pace of Game of Thrones putting on an episode once a week, which is a bit hectic, but a lot of fun. So stay tuned after the credits for that fun stuff. Thanks to, before we get into our Patreon credits, though, a few other shout outs. I want to thank Watchers on the Wall for their coverage of Game of Thrones this season and in the off season. We rely on them a lot for, we get a lot of the casting news and spoilery stuff from behind the scenes comes from them. That is our number one source. So big thanks to them. Also thanks to our Twitter buddy, Iontrone, who is just a really helpful guy to the fandom. He just he constantly tweets what shows are doing what, as in what podcasts. He's tweeted about, about this live episode. He's always been helping us out, getting spread the word about History of Westeros. But he also, but he isn't just for us. He's Certainly is a f veritable fountain of knowledge about all the coverage of Game of Thrones. He has a website dedicated to all the different podcasts and video bloggers who were covering Game of Thrones. And he gives ratings and, and favorites on those things. Check him out, iontrone.com. Also, thanks to the nation of Scotland. We, we got a request to give a shout out to Scotland, the whole country. So, hey, Scotland, you guys are great. I'm part Scottish. So, right on, guys. Yeah. Cool. And some, a lot of you, there's some of you who have been sending us questions consistently throughout the season. A lot of you guys we haven't mentioned specifically. So real quick, Daniel Christian, Lady Storch, Lady Alicia the Everlasting, who's also a Patreon supporter, Don Kuntz, Geek Furious, James Gamat Clark, Zoilo Paleo, Lord James the Clucker behind the throne, who I was very tempted, James, to do a chicken dance for you here. But I think uh, there's small children watching and we can't have that. <laughs> so... 
Thanks to all you. Thanks to anyone else who didn't get mentioned. Thanks to everyone who participated and watched this season, whether you were an anonymous behind-the-scenes watcher or someone who's asking us a lot of questions and helping spread the word of the show. We love you all. And thanks to you as well, Sean. Great season. <laughs> all right. Love so doing this. Stay tuned. Again, like I said, we've got a little more after the credits. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, starting with First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers, and the Black Pupil. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West, a.k.a. something like a lawyer. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed is of Castle Woodbridge. He's the Lord Borealis in the Light of the North and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills in Crescent Springs and Warden of the North. We've had a controversial change. The history of Westeros Night's Watch is no longer has Ronit Cantrell, wielder of the Valyrian Spoon, because Ronit Cantrell has left the wall to become king beyond the wall. Whoa, whoa, controversial, huh? <laughs> but also very cool. Still wielding the Valyrian Steel Spoon, for the night is dark and full of turnips. But now, king beyond the wall, Ronit Cantrell who is subjugating the many tribes of the North in preparation for the great wars to come. Also thanks to the small council, Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers. Kyber's got nothing on him. Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. Eh? Grand Maester Pycelle's dead. Maybe an opening there for Grand Maester Saria. Lord Robert Jacobs is our Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. And Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Lady Diarlis of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Lady Meg is Bloody Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort and also a frequent contributor through email. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood, Lady of Desert Rose, another shout out for her. Jeffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Greybay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate and Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the North Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. Lady Brame is Light of Winter's Garden and Beacon of the Northwest. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall, and also an asker of many good questions. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lady Cachon Vallant is of Swine Harbor. Lord Barone of Hillcrest is Lord of the Halls and wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Also, King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Dubbington, the Red Bear. I'll give a shout out to the rest of our Kingsguard every once in a while. They deserve a shout out, including Sir Andrew the Dragonseed Prophet, who is our longest tenured white sword. Sir Dolorous D, Sir Darren the Red, Knight of the Forums, who got a question answered today as well. Elia of New York, Lady Ola the Amber Knight, and finally Willa Crowsbane, Guardian of White Tree and First Lady of the Free Folk. So, last but not least, we also have the members of the History of Westeros Night's Watch, commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden. We also have First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, First Builder Liana Kelly, Lady of the Steelhold, and First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom. Very, very good, folks. Good names, good names. I do love seeing what you all come up with, and I like reading the names that I came up with, too. They're both fun. Okay, so... Here's one of the questions I really wanted to talk about that is less, uh, that's a kind of a low content question, but it's a lot of fun. 
The question is from Corky94. Since you guys always mention, et cetera, et cetera, and other shows that you watch them, giving your perspective, in the intermission between season six and seven for us as fans, what shows do you guys recommend we check out? What are your favorites? Let me start off with podcast recommendations, and we'll talk about TV. There are, I'm a big consumer of podcasts. I know you're, you're not a big podcast listener yourself, but, you know. More so than I used to be. I'm, cool. I appreciate them as a, a format. I know one I've turned you on to is History on Fire by yeah. Daniele Bellelli who is a wonderful storyteller. Uh, also, Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, which is the podcast, which is the maybe the reason I'm a podcaster in the first place. I, I emulate his style a lot. He's one of the, the giants of podcasting. He's been around a long time and is a fantastic, enthusiastic storyteller. I'm a fan of the Pirate History podcast, as well as the History of Pirates podcast. Type in Pirate History in iTunes and you'll get them both. One is a, is a more of an overlook uh, on various areas of piracy another the pirate history podcast is a specific look at caribbean piracy but it, it's been spending a lot of time getting at the roots of it without actually going to the caribbean yet it's really cool showing how the whole system even developed in the first place and the podcaster has a great voice uh radio westeros of course i recommend some book centric song of ice and fire shows radio westeros is uh, is always my top pick also mythical astronomy of ice and fire Great, uh, great newer podcast there. We've had him as a guest for our Book to Show episodes, so that's good there. I, certainly, folks, if you're out there and you have some favorites, write them in the comments there. I, I'm always looking for new recommendations, and I'm sure everyone else is as well. So let's talk about TV shows, though. What are some of your favorite TV shows? Sean and I watch TV together. If you guys didn't know, I, uh, this house here that that is that I own, I've, I've, Sean has been a renter in my house here for a long time, so we've been, we've been friends for a long time. We watch a lot of TV together. Same with Ashea. Um, I'm sure she would weigh in with some of her favorite TV shows here, but we'll get we'll we'll, we'll have a spot for that in our Q and A for book readers, and Shay can weigh in with some of hers as well, and I'll maybe weigh in with some that I forgot about. So Sean, I'll let you take it away with a few here. There, one I'll say there are just a lot of good. I'm pretty sure there's never been more good TV shows on like the. the Tend the, to agree, yeah. Right, and, which makes sense. Over time, you're gonna have like more experience and talent, and even demand. It's easier nowadays. You don't. As, as consumers, you don't have to be home Wednesday night at 7 o'clock or whatever. Just, you can just watch yeah. Netflix or YouTube, DVR or whatever, anytime. And uh, there's uh, more ability for producers to focus where because of that, right? In the past, you know, TV in the past, you're just, everything you're doing is for advertisement money, right? Yeah. There weren't subscriptions or there weren't as many um, or, or even the ability to get your stuff out there. You know, if you didn't care about being profitable, if you just wanted to get your artwork out, there was no place to put your artwork. You yeah. know, maybe public I mean, we're an example. Like, what like, right, we're doing yeah. right here, this is like so, unthinkable 20 years ago. But now, as you <laughs> say, sorry, or as Louis C.K., you know, stand-up comedians, like Seinfeld paved the way. Like, self produced You have a lot of good ideas. You have, you develop the resources, and uh, you want to put together your own TV show. But NBC's not going to put that R-rated awkward you know dry humor show on eight o'clock at prime time no but netflix will and so we get master of none and louie and all these other great or shows just the new black is a great or show new black, yeah, yeah that's one of shan and i've watched uh, marco polo's on right now that's a good one that's one that's actually that just came back season two season one didn't get great reviews but we liked it and season two haven't finished it yet i think i've watched shay and i've watched four episodes it's really good so far this season Beautiful sets and scenery, and the the one of the lead actors playing Kublai Khan, is Benedict Wong, is fantastic. I've always been a big fan of film, and I've always approached it like literature. You know, I was 
I recognize that, you know, action fest movies are fun and exciting and popular. Yeah. But to me, they're not very meaningful. Every week, there's some new They'll action movie They'll make you think as much. Right, yeah. right. I want the movie that's really going to affect me, that's going to stick with me, that's going to become part of culture. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I've started to pay more attention to TV, and I'm kind of looking at TV in the same way. I want something that's innovative, something that's moving, something that's well put together, something that's insightful. And uh, and there's a, there's a lot of good things out there. And... Part of what you watch is just going to be your schedule, your friends, your social group, your personal taste. But uh, but given that there's so much out there, there are a lot of shows that I even think of, maybe if I was on 1 or 10 scale, I would say they're 8s, mm-hmm. that I don't even bother with anymore. Because they're 9s and 10s, and I don't <laughs> want to watch 8s and be missing out on 9s and 10s. And So some of the very best shows, in my opinion, uh, Better Call Saul. I think that Big fan. if I had to pick, that might be my favorite like show that's like currently running anyway. Louis is really high up there. That one is maybe a more narrow audience. Everyone might not appreciate Louis's uh, humor or the fact that it's barely even a comedy. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if he's going to have another season. I think at least I temporarily think he, I think he's put he it is, on hiatus. But yeah, it is on hiatus. He has a couple of the projects going. Um, I wish I could remember the name of it. but the Horace and Pete. Horace and Pete. But the one, the, Pam from the show, she's got her own show that he's producing too. Oh, I've forgotten yeah, the name of it. Name of but in the commercial, they feature Game of Thrones. Did you? I yes, saw that clip. Yes, yes, and I, yes. I feel like shame, bad, I the think, shame commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was I feel like bad. I can't think of it because I, I, I'm excited to watch that. I thought that was uh, a Louis commercial. That wasn't a Louis commercial. No, it's for her show oh, that he's neat. producing. That's cool. Yeah, he, she, they must have a close relationship because she Pam was something. Or... She was with him in his first attempt at a sitcom, which is called Lucky Louis. Lucky that was, Louis? On, that was yeah. on HBO. It ran for one season, and she was his wife in that show. So that they, they've got, they're tight, I guess. Uh, they, they do work together. They have great on-screen chemistry. Fargo is another one. Fargo's awesome. Which, by the way, that's another thing that's happening in film, is it, or in TV, is that film directors are moving to TV. It's the Coen brothers yeah. that are making Fargo. And there's other writers and directors involved, but they're producing that show. And, and it's clear as you watch it. It's If you like the Coen brothers, it's, yeah. it's movie quality. It's really, really well-done show. Speaking uh, of, but if we, if we try to narrow it down a little more to like period pieces shows that like have like a big budget on their set and their costuming and and try to take up a role of some past era or or an era that isn't real you say black sales i am gonna say black sales yes (laughs) sean and i both love black sales it's a show that has just gotten started off pretty good and just became excellent over time it's like the first four episodes probably its weakest points but I even like the first. Yeah, I, I didn't good. feel that. I thought it started off really strong. Okay, I, I think maybe it was a little. It, it, it was a little okay to start, but it got great. You know, around episode late, episode four, episode five, and it just stayed great and it's gotten better. It's like the the show, the people who run the show. It's like, well, they all they're more experienced now. It's like some of them yeah, maybe you yeah. know they've gotten a lot of experience doing this and they're better at it. And you know, it's a good thing when a show lasts a while and can keep yeah. putting out quality material. Anyone like Breaking Bad? Pretty universally thought of as a great show, top yeah. of many people's lists. Well, they those same people just kept making. They just they better call they, Saul. They just yeah, better, they, they're better at it. It's even at, I'm, I, I mean, that's some people are like what it might be blasphemous. Hope don't turn you off to watch a better call Saul by being so bold as to say it's better than Breaking Bad. I'm telling it you, it might be. Like I, I have a hard time comparing the two because one of the things about Breaking Bad that makes it so great is the way it ended. It ended really well. I won't spoil what the ending was, but it was a good ending. You know, and that's so hard to do and so rare. That unless Better Call and Better Call Saul hasn't done that yet, so I just compare the first two seasons at this point. Fair but enough, I yeah. still say that the first two seasons of Better Call Saul are better than the first two seasons of Breaking Bad. Yeah. But also to be fair, part of that is because they get Breaking Bad to build off of. They get to bring right. in these characters that they don't have to do as much time introducing because you already know who they are. So you know it's a little of like they 
it's maybe not fair, but whatever. We like them both a lot. Um, another show that we're solid on, maybe it's not the best show, but it's consistently strong, is Vikings. And Vikings is, a lot of you are probably aware of Vikings already, but what you might not be aware is that it's coming back this month. It's They're doing two seasons this year, and the other one is this month. I guess they want to maybe timing it. They, it. The first one ended right before Game of Thrones started, and this one is starting shortly after it. So it's like, hmm, that can't be coincidence, can it? Another show we really like was The Last Kingdom. It's had one season. The first season was pretty solid, especially the beginning of it. It, it tapered off a little at the end, but it was still really good. It's a, based on a book series by Bernard Cornwell, and Bernard Cornwell is highly lauded by George R. R. Martin himself. And I've read all the Last Kingdom books. The next Last Kingdom book should be out this year, so I'm excited for that. And then Last, season Kingdom, Last Kingdom Season 2 should be out around like October, November maybe? I'm not sure if it's going to be a full year between seasons or it might be a little longer, but that's another recommendation that I like a lot. We've mostly been talking more dramatic stuff, but I, it's always sunny. Who those guys are fans of Hands Game of down, Thrones, and yeah. Game of Thrones makers are fans of them, vice versa. That show is uh, one of my most watched shows, and uh, yeah, it, it is probably my most watched show of the last year or two. I'm a, we we have it on constantly, reruns just here. The Office but, is my most watched show, yeah. hands down for sure. Yeah, me but that's too. That's not on anymore, so yeah, Office and It's Always Sunny are our favorite two comedies. Shay, I would agree with that. It's all three of us. It's nice that we have the same exact favorite top two shows for comedies. There, also, I would recommend. What's another comedy I would recommend? Man Seeking Woman is a really good show. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good a, one. There's a bunch of uh, comedies. Are, uh, they don't have to be epic. They don't have to have these long-term stories built up <laughs> and these huge budgets and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. And I, I will say there's a trend I've noticed. I don't know how much it's happening or how much it's me, but I feel like a lot of the best ones or my favorite ones on the surface, they're comedies. You start watching it because it's a comedy, there's a comedian involved, and it's funny. Yeah. But halfway through, you're like, wow, this is actually serious, isn't it? It actually <laughs> makes me think about society and relationships and my like, life and the hey. world. And like, this is a, <laughs> I, and I love that. I love it when it can get me to laugh, but also get me to think. I mm -hmm. think that's yeah, Louis, a, that's, that's really, Louis and Master Nunn that you already mentioned are perfect yeah. examples of that. <laughs> I also like um, the show Mr. Robot. It was really, really good. Oh, First yeah, season good had a fantastic debut. That's a show that I'm a little worried about. The plot could get a little crazy and silly. I'm worried that it will. It hasn't yet at all. But I'm I'm a little worried that that'll happen with it. Um, but I've re I'm very eager for season two and ex expect. And the reason it's so good is the acting is one of the main reasons. And so even if the story goes off the rails a little bit, if the acting stays as strong as it is, then we're in great shape. So we're going to get to the, I'm um, to the point now where we said that show, I have to say this show. What we said now, well, I have to say Broad City. Broad City is awesome. Broad yeah. City. Another great one. And another one that I've really appreciated that I can imagine some people might not like, but Nathan for you. Oh, Nathan for you is great. Show Such a good cracks one. cracks yeah. me up like nothing else. Okay. Well, we've gone on, I think, long enough. I think that's good. I think you've gotten our top recommendations. Hopefully we didn't forget anything. Hopefully I didn't forget anyone in our acknowledgments. Thanks to everyone again for all the questions. If you didn't get your question asked... Maybe it, you can submit it to our book to show, or maybe you can submit it next year. Maybe a lot of those questions will still be valid by the time our preseason talks about season uh, seven will come around. There is one we missed. What's Silicon that? Valley, the show that comes on oh, right yeah. after Game of Thrones. That's highly recommended. Yes, yeah. Silicon Valley is a very good, very solid comedy that's it's got a little dra dramatic uh, elements to it as well. Mostly just a comedy though, yeah. and it's on right after Game of Thrones, like like Sean said. We we just typically we're just watch it right after. Um, that's our standard play there. So anyway. 
Thanks again, everybody. It's been an awesome season six. If you, we hope that if you're a book reader, you stick with us year round. Uh, but if not, we will see you next season sometime around April. Maybe we'll do start a little sooner, depending on when the season debut is going to be. We'll certainly do a preseason episode, maybe two. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what kind of news comes in about casting and things like that. What kind of uh, spoilers and what kind of things trickle, what kind of details trickle out. Will so, the books be out by then? Will the Winds of Winter be out by then? Probably not. But I, I, I only say that because I am I keep my expectations low. <laughs> but if it is out, oh man, that will be. I don't even know. It'll be a game changer. It'll make people's heads spin, and well, we'll just be really busy as a podcast because that's just gonna be that's gonna flip our whole world upside down in a good way. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing the show for we've been doing History of Westeros for four years now, but we have not been doing the show during a book release. The book came out a few months after season one, the last book, and it's just been since then, you know, nothing. So, you know, he's he's released a few chapters in advance, but... Which, by the way, is our next episode, History of Westeros' next episode, not concluding the live book-to-show episode with Radio Westeros and guests, will be the the latest Winds of Winter chapter. That is really close to done. We'll be recording it within uh, a week to ten days, and it'll be out about a week after that. So we, we shouldn't be skipping much time. You'll be able to catch our other episode. Well, then we'll be able to put that out. Lots to come after the season. We have no shortage of topics, book-only topics to deal with. So we'll be doing that. So again, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon or next year or both. And again, Valar Morgullis. Valar Season Sixus, Valar Beardus, Valar Iron Maidenus, <laughs> Valar everything. Adios, everybody. <laughs>